tonight, I'm about to get dope. It ain't nothing but some shit I wrote. About a young brother, deep in the game. They call me Mac Dre and I'm keeping the name. I'm sporting Nike shoes, I got a mic to use. To talk bad about suckers, I don't like the fool. Down in dirty box, spitting my hits. And if not, I'm getting my grits. Playing the game like it's supposed to be played. Making much more than a minimum wage. Not a pimp daddy, don't drive a caddy. I just make and get all that baby tray. You know I never slow down, smoking 60 until I'm really slow down. Walking to the party, fully first. Grab the microphone and let the mouthpiece work. I get hyped, and the game starts going. The girls get freaky, and it starts showing. And when the party's over at the end of the night, they say, damn, Mac Dre, you ain't nothing polite. Because I'm the numero uno, can never be the dose. A Mac named Dre, and I'm popping the most. 18, making raps till I'm 80, though. Getting too hard for the fucking radio.
Dre, Too Hard for the Fucking Radio. That's a song requested by C-Money, who's the most frequent and most generous donor to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, and he requested this song, so I, I had to do it. This is the inaugural song for the new computer that is being used to broadcast Poker Fraud Alert Radio. That's why we're late tonight. I, I had some trouble getting it going for the radio, but it seems to be working. I think we're in good shape. Welcome. I am Todd Dandruff with Tellus. This is the Druff and Friends show. Notice I didn't say the Druff and Friends show with special guest Brandon Drexel Gerson. I have something to tell you guys uh, before we even get going here. Uh, Unfortunately, just as we were getting used to doing radio again, Brandon and I had a huge falling out, and uh, he'll never be on this show again. No, that's not true. But Brandon can't make it right now. I'm not sure why. He told me shortly before radio that he cannot make it, but might be able to make it after 9. So he's not here. We're going to have our back backup co-host, Trader Ski. I, I shouldn't really call him that because he's been here pretty much every show <laughs> since Brandon came back. Uh, most of the time sleeping, but he's been here. But uh, I think he'll be more awake for this program because uh, I'll need a second host and there's no Brandon, at least for right now. So uh, with or without Brandon, we're going to soldier forward here. And, you know, I I know some people are probably unhappy about this, but I I don't want people to get angry at Brandon because Brandon is not officially part of the show yet. That's why he's the special guest star. So he does radio when he can make it, and when he can't, then then he's not there. And uh, I'm not expecting that he's here every time. And as I've said before... uh, regularity of appearance has never been Brandon's strong suit. When he shows up to radio, he does a great job and everyone loves him, but he's not always here. And this is one of those weeks, at least for now. But you never know. He may show up. He told me he might show up after 9. And I'm sure he actually feels bad about not being here, so he probably will make an effort to appear if he can. Someone saying, pay Brandon. Yeah, well, I'll pay Brandon as soon as this site makes some money. (laughs) Which, right now, it's, it's losing this site. It's it's losing money. Part of it's my fault. In fact, it's probably all my fault because I don't attempt to get sponsors for this site. They, if sponsors find me, that's great, but I don't attempt to sell ads on here. Partially because I don't want anyone to have any kind of editorial control over this site. I don't want anyone to say, oh, I'm not going to pull my ads if you do this or that or say this or that or don't ban this person or allow this to go on. I, I don't want that. So I just... Don't seek advertisers. If they find me, then I assume they know the deal here. But I, I could probably try hard, harder with that. I just I like the freedom to be able to talk about what I want and who I want and not worry about getting advertisers pissed off. So there's no advertisers here. Occasionally there's one. Right now there's none. So obviously we lose money. Anyway, uh, the free roll is going on right now where you can not only avoid losing money, you can make money. There's a free roll just about every week on this site. During radio, 
And this money is donated by the users. It just started a minute ago, but don't panic if you are not in there yet because you have 25 minutes to get in there, in there as a late registrant, and you'll start off with a full stack of chips. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, and rather than go through the whole spiel, I had a lot of people complaining last week on the forum that I take too long for the show's intro, which they're right about. I, they're not complaining over nothing. They're right. I, I take sometimes up to an hour to introduce the show, and I once said that uh, I'm glad I have more than an hour to do the show, otherwise it would be all intro and no content. <laughs> I mean, that's actually kind of the truth. So uh, I'm going to try to cut down on the intro here, especially for new listeners, so they get right to the content that's interesting. And part of the intro that I've been doing every week that has been taking a long time has been introducing the free roll. So I'm just going to make it quick. We have a free roll. It started at 8.10 p.m. Pacific time. It's for $50 plus a $6 bounty on... Uh, got to rem- go back to the thread to remember the name of the person the bounty's on. I'm not even sure if they're going to be playing. Ace player. If ace player is there, you get a $6 bounty for knocking him out. If he's not there, then there's no bounty. Otherwise, it's 25 for first, 12 for second, 8 for third, 5 for fourth. Now, for the rest of the free roll information... Go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash FreeRoll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash FreeRoll, all one word, and read all about it. So I don't have to repeat it every week. The only thing I will tell you is the prize pool, what time it starts, which was a few minutes ago, with 25 minutes late registration. It's $25 for first, 12 for second, 8 for third, 5 for fourth, and the $6 bounty on Ace Player if he's there. And... This week, the generous donations for this free roll did not come from me. I'm too cheap for that. It came from John Stamos, who gave $10, S-Double, who gave $9, Detroit, who gave $10, Gut, who gave $5, FPS Russia, who thought I stiffed him on his donation because I didn't include it last week. But no, we are using your donation, FPS Russia. $16, and Darkstar is the one who gave the $6 bounty if Ace Player is there. So that's the free roll. You still have time to get in there. And read all about it, PokerFraudAlert.com slash FreeRoll, if you're not aware of all the rules about winning the free money, how you get paid, all that other stuff. But it is a cash free roll where you will get paid cash. PokerFraudAlert.com slash FreeRoll. That's what I will give out each week and cut down the intro segment. Don't expect the page to be very pretty, by the way. It looks like a web page from 1995. I'm pretty much using the same skills I learned back in 95 to make web pages to make that one. If you want to call into the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You have to show your caller ID when you call in, or you will not get through. You'll get a busy signal. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. The Mount Charleston line is an old rotary telephone that sits on top of Mount Charleston, which is near Las Vegas, about 45 minutes away. It forwards to wherever I am. That phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. If you want to text me during the show, I will read your texts on the air unless you ask me not to at the beginning of the text. It's the same as our main phone number, 775-372-8355. That's how you text me during the show. You can also text me before or after the show. You can text me anytime. And if you ask anyone, they will tell you, yes, I respond to any text that is worth responding to. So if you want to get a hold of me via text, if you're just lying in bed at 3 in the morning, you can't fall asleep, and you're like, I'm really bored, there's no one to talk to, there's a good chance I will be awake. 
So just text me. You can. I'm not kidding. Oh, boy, I screwed up. I, I screwed up big time here. The free roll prize pool is actually bigger than I indicated. I forgot the whole reason why I played a rap song at the beginning, which I normally would not do. C-Money said, if I play that song, he'll give $50 extra for the free roll. So someone from 480 texted me, Todd, you forgot about C-Money's $50 for playing the song. So the free roll should be $100. You're right. I screwed it up. So here's the new prize pool. So if you're, if you're doing well in the free roll already, you'll be happy. You're going to pretty much win double. It'll be $50 for first, 25 for second, 13 for third, 7 for fourth, 5 for fifth. That's 50, 25, 13, 7, and 5. And the bounty, if, if that ace player guy is there. Thank you, Mr. 480 Code, for reminding me that I screwed up. Yes, thank you, C-Money, for that $50 extra. That's why I played that song. That wouldn't normally be my choice. Uh, some other texts we got from the 561 Area Code. Druff, we need to pick a new start time for radio, a time that works for the East and West Coast, say, 9 o'clock Eastern. Stop the bullshit West Coast bias. Well, let me tell you something. There's not many things that you can find in this country with a West Coast bias. Usually it's an East Coast bias. Whether you're watching ESPN and they're constantly covering the Yankees and Red Sox or all the network programming in prime time that's always based upon when people in the East can watch it. They don't want it to be too late for the people in the East Coast, so they always start it too early in the West Coast. It's such a pain in the ass. And then, then, how about when you're working a regular job, for those of you that have a regular job, which I once had. How about when there's an East Coast branch of your company and there needs to be some kind of teleconference or phone meeting? Do they ever accommodate the West Coast people? No, never. Never. So, like, you can never have a phone meeting at, like, 3 o'clock West Coast time. They'll go, oh, my God, that's 6 o'clock. I've got to go home to my family. But... They will demand that you have to come in at 6 in the morning to talk to them when it's 9 o'clock over there. Why? Well, because that's our work day, 9 a.m. We're here at 9. You've got to be here at 6. I hear about this so often. I talk to friends all the time who say, oh, man, I've got to go to work so early tomorrow. People in New York, they've got to talk to us, and that's when they come in, so I've got to come in three hours early. Like They never adjust for you on the East Coast. So guess what, East Coast people? Tough luck. We're starting at 730 Pacific. This time, 8 o'clock Pacific, because I started late. Actually, the real reason I don't start earlier, and I would otherwise, because I really do want to accommodate everybody, but the reason I don't start earlier is not to give the middle finger to the East Coast, which I, I kind of would like to do, but I, I was born on the East Coast, so I have a little bit of attachment to the East Coast. And the reason I started 7.30 is because that's the time that my son Benjamin can be watched by his mom his mom works a regular job his mom has responsibilities and she can't do it earlier than this time so that's why i can't do it at six o'clock eastern or nine o'clock eastern and if you can't catch it this late which i understand is ten thirty eastern or later when this thing starts uh catch it in the archives like most of you guys do i'd say we get about uh 85 to 90 percent of our listenership in the archives so okay that's fine. 
Another option is you can move to the West Coast. In fact, uh, the weather is better. If you live in the East, come come over to Los Angeles or San Diego or even San Francisco. The weather is so much nicer than where you live because it's more moderate. The winter isn't as cold. The summer's not as hot. In Las Vegas, the summer's pretty hot, but uh, it's still nicer overall weather-wise than the East Coast. Pretty much the entire East has crappy weather no matter where you go. You say, oh, Florida, what about them? No, Florida, the summer is brutal. It's brutally hot in the summer in Florida. And tons of mosquitoes everywhere, too. Florida is actually nicer than Southern California in the winter, but uh, in the summer, it's, it's terrible. From the 702, can Brandon speak any more about the roulette machine at Red Rock? They still have single-zero Bally's machines. That's pretty, pretty Jewy not to take a young kid up in the Space Needle when Seattle. Shame on you. Oh, so the two things this guy is talking about. Uh, one is that he wants Brandon to talk about roulette, and I guess he can do that if he comes. I, I don't – I mean, I know what Brandon does with the roulette, but I can't really uh, explain it as well as Brandon, so I'll let him talk about that. But as far as the uh, Space Needle, yeah, I went to the Space Needle – the front of the Space Needle, shall I say. There's a, there's a nice little uh, – kind of a complex that's in that general area of the Space Needle. This kind of big square that has a lot of tourist and family-oriented things, but not like obnoxiously touristy, but yeah, like this is kind of cool park for the kids where Benjamin played, and there's this big fountain that kind of looks like uh, water shooting up from a big bug, and kids like to go play in there. But uh, in the back of this thing is the Space Needle, and uh, I almost went up there. It's just so hard to get a, an appointment there. And, uh, you know, you have to show up at a specific time and it's so crowded. And I, we just weren't in Seattle for a long enough time. And I was still considering it for the final day we were there. We were just there one night. But the, the day we were flying back, I was going to do the Space Needle and then uh, heavy rain the whole day. So that killed that. There's no point to go up there and you can't see anything. So it wasn't because I was too much of a Jew. I have been up there before, but not with Benjamin. It was way before Benjamin was anywhere in the picture. That was a text from the 702. Uh, this is someone from Germany who's calling out Brandon a bit. I read the good and the bad on here of the text messages. Or no, Sorry, not Germany. This is from uh, the UK. Sorry. This is from the UK. It's great to have Brandon back. Sorry, let me, let me do this again. It's great to have Brandon back on the show. But for the love of God, can you tell him that the word text is not is pluralized? Text is, is not a word. So this person doesn't like how Brandon says text is instead of texts. And I, I hear Brandon doing that, and I, I assume he's just messing around, kind of like how I say archives, which, by the way, came to be because of a user who once called in here and talked about the archives. He says, when's the show going to be in the archives? So now we talk about the archives. That's why. So I'm not going to tell Brandon how to speak, but I'll relay the message to him if he comes on tonight. And uh, let's see, from the 407, Chad Batista lives two blocks from me. Well, I should say lived. We'll talk about that a bit later. And let's see here. Uh, I think that's about it. The rest are just people asking personal questions. Oh, Crypt wanted to brag. He said, just shipped perhaps the largest free roll in poker fraud alert history. Thank you, Muck Ficon, for the dollars. That's for last week where Crypt won the $100 free roll. Now, it wasn't anywhere near the largest one. We have $100 free rolls often, including this week. 
But yes, thank you, Muck Ficon, for giving that whole $100 last week. And yes, Crypt was the winner. And uh, I think that's all the text. So if you want to text me, 775-372-8355. And I'm not keeping to my promise to go faster through the intro. But that doesn't really count as the intro. I'm just reading texts. Or as Brandon would say, Texas. <laughs> I can't even say it right. It sounds like I'm saying Texas. All right. Here's the agenda for tonight. I'm going to try to go through that faster as well. By the, by the way, if you're listening live, you should go in the chat room if you have a Flash-enabled device and you can interact with the other listeners of the show. Don't really try to talk to me in the chat room because I don't read it that often. It's hard to do during the show, especially when I'm on my own. But you can talk with other people in there. You just need a Flash-enabled device, meaning no iPhones or iPads. You will not be able to get in there. And you also need a, an active account on Poker Fraud Alert Forum to get into the chat room. The agenda tonight, Chad Little Hold'em, or Lil Hold'em, 954 Batista, a legendary poker player in the 2000s online, very controversial poker player. Some people liked him, some people didn't like him. Uh, He died at age 34. Last week we mentioned that he was not in good shape. He's in worse shape now. He's no longer with us. We'll talk about what happened there and about Chad Batista's past. Borgata files a countersuit against Phil Ivey regarding the edge sorting situation. The Las Vegas Club, a casino in Las Vegas where I've played before, closed. Talk a bit about that. Vanessa Russo claims on Big Brother After Dark, which is like a little after show they have from the regular Big Brother. They actually have it every day. She claimed on there that former husband Chad Brown, who, like Chad Batista, is no longer alive, cheated on her. Ho, 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 ho. That's not very nice, Vanessa. Chad is not here to defend himself. You know what? There's two two Chads we're talking about on this show who've died. Chad Batista and Chad Brown. I'm glad my name is not Chad. Otherwise, I'd probably be the next one. Yeah, they go in threes. Poker Stars has been forced to drop soccer star Neymar Jr. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I don't follow UK soccer or football because he's too young. What do I mean by that? I'll explain. When we get to that segment Normally I'd explain during the intro But some of you guys don't like that So now you don't get to hear very much about the topics in the intro Until I get to the topics Ha <laughs> 2.2 billion dollars Yes, 2.2 billion dollars Which is considerably more than One million dollars Has been seized From The and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Indrageta Mafia, which is one of the largest organized crime syndicates in the world. They seized $2.2 billion worth of assets, including 82 gambling sites, mostly based out of Malta. So if you've been playing on one of those sites and it doesn't work anymore, you've probably been playing for the Mafia, or against the Mafia, shall I say. 
Here's some general topics we'll talk about. Those were the uh, poker topics for the evening. The general topics. The show is now poker and just general stuff. The Jared Foundation, you know, the charity foundation to fight childhood obesity that was Jared Fogel's charity. I'm sure you've heard about him recently, who was recently busted for uh, child pornography and having sex with minors. The Jared Foundation apparently stole all $2 million that was donated to it. Yeah. So if you donated to the Jared Foundation, nothing, nothing went to the charities and the kids you thought you were helping. Zero point zero. Yeah, that's exactly what went to the obese kids that Jared was supposedly trying to help. Uh, I guess Jared was uh, what he thought was helping kids in a different way, but not exactly with money. Though I guess now he will be helping them with money because he's paying out 100 k to 14 different kids that were victimized by him directly or indirectly. Our little uh, political segment, I'm sure you guys outside the U.S. will love this because it's uh, about American politics and most of you probably don't give a rat's ass about it. But Hillary Clinton, I think she's melting down. I think Hillary Clinton's campaign would normally be in huge trouble, except she doesn't really have a serious challenger to replace her. Eight years ago, she did. Eight years ago, she was the leader early on, and then Barack Obama passed her. But the difference was that Barack Obama was seen as a viable candidate. He just wasn't seen to be strong enough to beat Hillary. And then Hillary ran a poor campaign, and Barack Obama, with his whole hope and change campaign, passed her easily and became the nominee and became the president. This time around, Hillary is melting down again, but without a Barack Obama type ready to take her place. So who could replace Hillary? And if no one does, will the Democrats be in trouble? Even though the Republicans are not exactly fielding a very strong opposition at the moment. So uh, we'll talk a bit about what's happening with Hillary and if uh, she's going to blow it for the second time and really choke a gigantic lead off in the primary. It's possible. Bitcoin is starting to show cracks again. We've had two crashes in the past week. We've had somewhat of a recovery from one of the crashes. But the question is, does Bitcoin have a future or is Bitcoin going to slowly decrease back to where it was in the first place, which is around like, well, originally it was a few cents. But I mean, like, will it go back down to $17 per Bitcoin like it was before the rapid ascension that it once had? Been a lot of talk about drones lately. I've been considering getting a drone. I almost pulled the trigger the other day for 850 bucks for one that was on sale. Chose not to, but I might get one soon. I've, I've had mixed feelings about getting a drone, and drones are also starting to cause some danger to airplanes, to other things. Uh, what is the world going to look like in the coming years with drones? We'll talk a bit about drones and uh, whether it's time to get one and what we can expect to see from them in the future. It seems like that we have certain major consumer uh, technology innovations that separate our time from the future and from the past. 
like in the 2000s, the late 2000s, the major innovation was smartphones when Apple came out with the first iPhone. That makes life very different now than it was 10 years ago when there was no iPhone or any phone like that. So will drones kind of be the new iPhone eventually or pretty soon? We'll talk about that. So that's the end of the intro. We're done. We're going to start. I think I kept it under half an hour this time. I I think I deserve some credit here. So uh, you guys in the chat room, let me know if there's any problems with the sound of this broadcast. I think I've got everything set up properly. By the way, how is Adam Schwartz of the 2 Plus 2 Poker Cast in our chat? I thought he can't listen live on Tuesdays. I mean, I'm happy he's here, but I, I thought he can't listen live on Tuesdays. Is he playing hooky from 2 Plus 2? But I, I'm actually flattered that Adam listens to the show because, you know, if if the main host, and I apologize to the other hosts if I'm calling him the main host, but that's how I see it. If the main host of the 2 Plus 2 poker cast, which is one of the most popular poker broadcasts out there, is wants to hear this show, then I must be doing something right. Someone saying needs topics. Actually, you're you're kind of not too far from the truth, but kind of the opposite. Adam has said he doesn't listen to this show before he does his show because he doesn't want to accidentally say things that I say or be influenced by anything I say. He wants to give his full opinion and not have any kind of conflict. So he he doesn't want to hear the topics covered on this show before he talks about them on his show, which makes sense. Mr. Tickle in the chat is saying, Dandruff for the online poker's wall of frame. A frame? <laughs> oh, he's his fame. Okay. I don't know where that wall of fame would be, but I'll take it. I'll take any kind of wall of fame or hall of fame or whatever kind of fame they want to give me. Except if it's totally undeserved. I, I wouldn't, you know, in 2005, I technically won the Card Player World Series of Poker Player of the Year Award. I really did. I, I wasn't the World Series Poker Player of the Year. That was Alan Cunningham. But uh, I was the Card Player World Series of Poker Player of the Year. I shouldn't have been. I should have been like third or fourth place. But because they had this stupid formula that was poorly conceived, I won barely. And I didn't really want the award because I didn't feel I deserved it. I felt I came close to deserving it, but I felt that a few others performed better than me that year. And it didn't matter because they realized how foolish they looked. And they tried to kind of downplay the whole thing and just gave me a brief mention in the editor's portion of the magazine. Someone from the 702 texting me, Druff, what would you do with a drone? I'd probably do what everybody else does with it. Just take it outside and fly it around and take videos of scenery. I'm not I'm not looking to get a drone to spy on people or do anything nefarious. I just I just think it's kind of cool. You know, uh, take it out to places where I would normally hike or even in my own neighborhood and just get a bird's eye view of everything. And get a view of things that I normally could not have from up in the air. 
Someone in the chat is T Buck in the chat is saying I should take my drone and smash it into Micon's drone. <laughs> and they're probably going to have this eventually, like a drone wars thing on TV. Maybe I should create drone wars. That's not a bad idea. Make drones that try to shoot each other down or ram each other out of the sky. That might be a cool show. I think I think I'm going to create drone wars. Won't be me and Mike on on the show, but that would be good though. Like me and Mike on on the show, taking out our uh, aggression toward one another with our drones. Though right now he'd probably knock me out of the sky easily because I I don't know how to fly one of these things. I'll have to figure it out. That, that's one of my fears, by the way, of getting a drone is that I'm going to spend all this money on it and then take it out and not fly it properly and slam it into the ground and then there goes my money. I am kind of afraid of that. Yeah. Battle bots in the sky, Vegas Jim is saying. All right, so let's get to the topics tonight. Chad Lil Holdem 954 Batista has passed away at the age of 34. If you were part of the online poker scene or following it all in the 2000s, that is like prior to 2010, you probably knew who he was, especially if you played tournaments. I didn't play with Chad Batista ever, at least not that I remember, because I didn't play online poker tournaments and I don't think Chad Batista played Cash Limit Hold'em, but I knew who he was. He was best known for being a white guy with a grill. He really wore a grill. And he was kind of like a bad boy of online poker, and he talked a lot of trash, and he had a very aggressive play style. And you know, if you saw him with a grill, and just you, you can get the impression from Chad Batista that this was a guy who wasn't very sophisticated and wasn't very smart. But it wasn't true because he was actually a very good player, especially in those days. And he was very successful in these online poker tournaments. He became kind of an online poker legend. And then I think the grill even helped him more. It was something that separated him from everyone else. So uh, after Black Friday in 2011, you kind of stopped hearing about Chad Little Holden Batista. And you kind of forgot that he existed. Not like forgot him completely, but you just kind of don't think about him until you hear something about him. And in this case, you ended up hearing that... uh, he passed away. So, as is the case with many poker players, he uh, had some demons. And uh, Chad Batista's demons included past arrests. He had a criminal record. And uh, also a bad drinking problem. This was not someone who just passed away because he was in an accident or a victim of violent crime or someone who was uh, 
unfortunate enough to have like a early heart attack through no fault of his own. This was someone who had a lot of issues off the felt. And it kind of seems like Black Friday just made things worse. He was, uh, I believe he moved to Mexico after Black Friday so he can continue playing, but he just, it just wasn't the same for him anymore. Between that and the games getting harder and everything like that, uh, Chad Batista just kind of fell out of the poker conversation and he wasn't playing major tournaments anymore and he was, you know, he probably didn't have the money he used to have. So you kind of forgot about him. Think of all the different poker players you've probably forgotten about that you really thought about a lot back in the day if you were a fan of poker. Because there were a lot of them. There's a lot of people you're like, oh man, I wish I was that guy. Oh man, I wish I could be as lucky as him. And then it turns out that person's not so lucky anymore and they're either dead or they are... They've gone broke. There's a lot of people who just disappear from online poker. So Chad Batista is one of them. And I, I admit I have not thought of Chad Batista in a long time until I heard about the fact that he had passed. I was told last week that Chad pretty much drank himself to death. He was not dead yet when we were doing this show. But he was in very bad shape. It was assumed that he would die, and he did. So it's always sad when somebody dies at that age. 34, I, I, I'm hearing 34, I'm hearing 35, I don't, it doesn't really matter. But he died very young. I mean, I'm 43, so he died several years younger than I am now. Probably younger than most of the listeners of this show. And even though he did it to himself, it, it's sad that he couldn't get this under control. And eventually, that was his undoing. So, as I said, he has a criminal record as well. Uh, one that is, I, I don't think for anything serious. There, there was a story that was on 2 Plus 2 that he was uh, in there for rape and served seven years, but that's not what I had read in the articles about him. Because uh, some Florida-based... Newspaper actually looked it up, and it was for... uh, I'm trying to even find it right now. But... um, It was for a lot of things like uh, assault, and I'm not saying these were super minor crimes, but it wasn't anything like rape. He he didn't seem to be in prison for anything like super major, but it seemed like a... He went in a number of times for kind of like minor to moderate crimes. 
And I believe this is before he got big in poker. Because, you know, if he's 34, 35, he's definitely born in 1980. So he turned 18 in the late 90s. So there's some time between then and when he blew up in online poker in the mid-2000s to have gotten in a lot of trouble. And you have to understand, a lot of these people who blew up in poker, especially ones who were old enough to have an adult history prior to poker, a lot of them didn't have the best history. A lot of them were involved in uh, in criminal enterprises, drug dealing, uh, getting into other kinds of trouble, in some cases scamming. Uh, and I'm talking about people who ended up being successful and otherwise are liked in poker. Because... The one thing about poker is it does not require being a good person or having a clean record or having any kind of education or any kind of a respectable background. All you need to be do all you need is the money to play and the skill to win and of course the luck to run well enough to win. And that's all you need. So People from all walks of life show up and try their hand at it. Most of them, the vast majority, fail. Some that succeed, when you find out their backstory, <laughs> you're not very impressed. David Devilfish Oliot, another guy who's died recently, died this year, uh, he had a, a really sordid past, including things like safe cracking. Now, he was a common criminal. And sometimes you don't want to think about that, that your heroes in poker have a, a past like that, but they do. Uh, Chad Batista also flipped out a little while back on some guy's Facebook. And uh, what was, let me see who it was. I remember even posting about this. Yeah, it was uh, Brett Hanks. He went off on him. In, uh, I believe, earlier this year. This is the statement from Chad Batista's family. And then I'll tell you something else that's kind of interesting that's happened since then. It is with the deepest sadness that we announce the sudden passing of our beloved son, nephew, cousin, brother, and friend, Chad Lil Holdem 954 Batista. Chad died suddenly in this beautiful Thursday afternoon with his family surrounding him. It's kind of a weird phrase, a beautiful Thursday afternoon. I, I don't care what the weather's like. If someone you love passes away, it's never a beautiful day. It was kind of a weird way to put it. I mean, does it really matter if you're going to die on a nice day or a cloudy day or a hot day or a cold day. I, I don't care what the weather's going to be like on the day I die. I'll tell you that. Whoever writes my obituary, please don't ever say the day was beautiful. Don't ever say that. Unless you hate me, then it's a beautiful day for you. We ask that our privacy be respected at this difficult time when we thank you for your prayers, the Batista family. So I, I guess they were trying to sound... I don't want to say upbeat, but they're trying to sound like... Uh, respectful like that his final moments were nice that his family was surrounding him and it was a beautiful day well he wasn't sitting outside on a hammock you're indoors it doesn't matter how beautiful or not beautiful the day is when they say our privacy be respected at this difficult time i think that's code for saying please don't ask us about chad's past or 
why this happened. Because as I said, he, he didn't die from uh, natural causes. He, it happened from alcohol abuse. So, that's the family statement. I'm sorry if I seem uh, distracted. I just wanted to uh, kill the sounds here from Skype. I just installed on this computer. This is, by the way, this is the uh, computer belonging to Benjamin's mom. I took it over for this radio show because my computer was such an old disaster area. Someone asking me on Twitter, are you really dissing Chad's friends and family's feelings? No, no. I mean, I I understand. I mean, if I was part of Chad's family, I would be devastated too. It, it doesn't matter if they make mistakes. Uh, if, if a relative of yours passes away, you know, short of them being an awful person, like a murderer or a rapist or a child molester, you know, short of that, you're sad, even if they've made mistakes or, or caused their own death. So I, I'm not minimizing the family's feelings and I, I don't blame them for not wanting to come out there and make statements about his drinking or his past. I just thought the weird thing was writing that beautiful Thursday. That was that was what really kind of jumped out at me when I read it. It's kind of a weird way of putting things. But I'll give them a pass. You know, they just had their close relative die. So, But here's something more interesting than the statement from the family. Uh, unfortunately, anything having to do with poker seems to attract scammers, and this is no exception. Apparently, someone has set up a GoFundMe account for donations related to Chad Batista's passing. However, the GoFundMe account is bogus. The person setting it up has nothing to do with Chad Batista or his family. Oh, my goodness. It's true. <laughs> so someone's trying to get donations for... Chad Batista's final expenses and does not have any connection to his family. So the family had to put out the following statement. Chad Batista's family is requesting a little help from everybody to get the word out about this. Okay, I'm I'm helping. We got a thousand listeners here. There have been there's been a GoFundMe page set up and it does not, I repeat, not have anything to do with the family. That's their words, not mine. The family will be organizing a memorial so everyone that loved Chad can be there. We will keep you posted. If anyone wants to donate anything, is to be donated to Trevor's Fight. And that's uh, it's something to donate to some kid who's having uh, some kind of health problem. Sorry, I don't know more about it. But if you go to Facebook.com slash Trevor's Fight, no uh, apostrophe or anything, just Trevor's Fight, T-R-E-V-O-R-S-F-I-G-H-T. You can read about that. They're basically saying, don't donate money to us. Don't don't give any money to that scammer on GoFundMe. Go to Trevor's fight on Facebook and give Trevor money to help him. So that's the charity they want to support in lieu of flowers, in lieu of everything. So I've put it out there. If you want to donate, don't give it to the Batista family at their request. Give it to Trevor's fight. 
And that's really crappy. I mean, I don't know who did this, but someone should contact GoFundMe and get this shut down. I, I hope that's been done already. But if it hasn't, uh, it should be. And someone should make an attempt to find out who did this and really shame them. It, that's really, really bad to take someone's death and try to scam people from someone's death. That is really, really, really bad. I wonder if this page is still up. I bet it's gone by now. Uh, I, I can't find it, so it's probably gone. If any of you in the chat room can find it, go ahead, but it's probably gone. Lou Father saying in chat, Druff did not open his Jew wallet. No, I didn't. But at least I'm using my show to give it time so you guys can open up your Jew wallets. Like, you know, that's that's something, right? Anyway. You know, rest in peace, Chad Batista. I know you made some mistakes, but uh, you definitely didn't deserve this, even if you did it to yourself. And uh, he did get third in the W Coop on Poker Stars, the $2,100 buy in W Coop for $264,000 two years ago. But uh, other than that, I, I think he just wasn't doing that great. Here's an example. Uh, in 2014, Chad got a $165,000 score at the $130 Mega Millions event at the bike in Los Angeles. So that was actually his second biggest live payday. Yeah, he was more of an online player than someone who really succeeded live. But he did win 165, almost 166,000 in this $130 buy-in Mega Millions at the bike in L.A. last year. You might say, oh, great, you know, that means he must be doing okay. Well, look, a $130 tournament, and this is 130 plus 30, that's a pretty steep amount of juice there. You pay 160 and only 130 goes to the prize pool. If you're entering tournaments like that, you're probably not doing that well. And I'm talking about if you're a professional poker player, not if you're an amateur. You know, an amateur entering that could be anyone. It could be someone with millions. It could be someone who's poor. It could be someone in the middle. But uh, a professional poker player does not enter $130 tournaments. It's just too – it takes too much time to play, and your likely score in that, unless you finish among the top few spots, is not worth all the time you put in. That's why people with bankrolls don't play things like $130 tournaments. You just don't. So uh, – From looking at Chad Batista's scores later in his poker career, it really looked like he didn't have the buy-in to enter a lot of the bigger events. He did manage to enter that $2,100 W Coop in 2013, but whatever it was, it looks like uh, you know maybe he was backed. He just wasn't. Uh, I don't think he was flush with money, and even his family admitted that he wasn't the same after Black Friday. 
So, very good player, though. No question. A lot of poker talent. There's a reason that poker players seem to have this happen more often to them than people not in poker. Why do we have so many early deaths in poker? It's because the poker lifestyle is one that attracts people who seek easy money. Because I'll tell you something about poker. Everyone believes, at least initially, that they're a good player. I guess if you play a long time and keep losing, then you can start to believe you're not very good. But most people believe that they are much better at poker than they actually are. Even a lot of the pros, even a lot of the good pros, believe they're a lot better than they actually are. So everyone believes they're good at poker. Everyone believes that with just the right amount of luck that they can be a pro or they can enjoy great success in poker. And it's really easy money if you're doing very well. You just sit down, you play a game that can be fun, and you walk away with a lot of money. (laughs) It's a hell of a lot easier than working a full-time job. Even easier than starting your own business if it goes that way. But the hard part comes when you're losing. Or the hard part comes when you're not as good as you think you are. Or the hard part comes when you have to manage your money. Or game select properly. Or control other addictions that may spawn from your involvement in poker. But anyway, it attracts that type. People who want a more conventional, stable lifestyle don't play poker professionally, typically. They, they're they the ones who take the 9-to-5 jobs. Even ones who have the talent to win in poker, they don't want to risk it. They don't want that lifestyle. They keep their 9-to-5 jobs. The ones who don't want to work, the ones who want to have their own schedule, the ones who want to be their own boss and yet they don't want to have to have a business that they have to go to every day and worry about, play when they want, don't play when they don't want. It's something very attractive if it can work out for you. But for the vast, vast, vast majority, it does not work out. And for those that does work out, they often lack the life discipline to hold on to the money they want. Or they develop issues with gambling problems, drinking, substance abuse. Because that type of person is more prone to that than someone who has committed themselves to a stable lifestyle. So that's why you get a lot of degenerates in poker. That's why sometimes poker can even cause the inner degenerate of someone who is stable to come out. I've known people who had very stable, conventional lives who weren't really big risk takers that once they got into poker, it kind of consumed them and it changed their way of thinking and they became irresponsible with money. They, they started drinking too much. They got into drugs. Pretty soon they were broke. Pretty soon they were divorced. Pretty soon they didn't have a job or the prospects of another job. And It just attracts a lot of degenerate types. 
So if you're one of those types, I hate to tell you, you're never going to succeed in poker. You will succeed maybe skill-wise or results-wise, but you will end up broke and you might end up dead. Because you have to have a somewhat disciplined personality to make it long-term in poker. Otherwise, you will go broke. And other bad things might happen to you. So Chad Batista, unfortunately, was one of those people. He was someone who lived on the edge, was never very disciplined in life, and uh, despite possessing a lot of poker skill, uh, ultimately did himself in. Not intentionally. He wasn't committing suicide, as far as I can tell. He just... uh, He basically overdosed on alcohol. So it's it's a sad story, but it's one we're going to keep seeing. (laughs) T-Buck in chat saying, public service announcement brought to you by Dan Dreff, ladies and gentlemen. Lou Father asking, didn't he try to commit suicide a few years ago, Chad Batista? I don't know. I, I know that you know, he had that blow up on Facebook, which I mentioned earlier, back in like January. He hasn't seemed completely right in quite some time. I mean, you, you don't just wake up one day and drink yourself to death. You've obviously had a longstanding problem at that point when that happens. All right, so uh, let's move on here to a less depressing topic. I don't know if it's going to be that much less depressing, but at least it's not involving anyone dying. And that is the Borgata has filed a countersuit against Phil Ivey. This is the endless edge-sorting situation. Did I talk about this last week? I'm trying to remember. Last week's kind of a blur because of all the fail we had. Um, I don't remember talking about this, so I'll talk about it. Borgata is filing a legal response... I guess they're responding to the countersuit from Phil Ivey. They're suing him, and then he's countersuing. So they're responding. Basically, uh, in 2012, Ivey and his Asian female accomplice, Cheng Yin Sun, did something called edge sorting, which is an advantage play tactic, to win at Mini Baccarat or Punto Banco. And he won $9.6 million in 2012. He actually did collect the money. In some other places, they were caught doing this. They were not paid, and uh, Ivy was suing them. Here, Ivy doesn't have a need to sue them because he was paid. So the Borgata is suing him to get the money back. Uh, a countersuit filed by Ivy's attorney 
in early August alleges that uh, the Borgata destroyed the cards that were used and also that the cards had been already approved for use by uh, New Jersey's regulators. So uh, the response that uh, the Borgata has filed in response to the countersuit. It's crazy. It's a, a suit, a countersuit, and a response now to the countersuit. Uh, acknowledges that they did destroy most of the cards. But they said that that's part of their standard practice. That uh, basically what happens is that uh, after cards get used enough, they either destroy them or mark or punch a hole in them and sell them in gift shops or donate them that they don't typically keep around decks for very long. So this is just what they did. So that's, they're they're saying we didn't do anything nefarious by destroying those cards. And uh, among other things, um, they deny that um, these were. Uh, they're denying that uh, the Borgata lied by calling these uh, problems with the cards defects. Because uh, Ivy is saying, hey, they're not defects. This, they were past uh, pre-play inspection, so there was, it was not defective. These, these are the, this is the way your cards are manufactured. We, you passed inspection. So they denied that. Uh, they, they claim that, uh, they yes, they destroyed the cards, but... Uh, they say that's no big deal. That's done anyway. They deny they intentionally destroyed them. They deny that they were trying to engage in fraudulent concealment of the evidence because of that reason. And They're basically saying that the the fraud was uh, create was committed by Phil Ivy and his accomplice, and not by the Borgata in any way. So that they're saying, how can you be countersuing us? You got you won money from us, and we're trying to get it back because we think you won the money through cheating. So how can what are you countersuing us for? Is basically what they're saying. <laughs> what where's the what are your damages? You guys did it to yourself. That's what they're saying here. Now, I believe that Ivy is not guilty here. I, I I know he was engaging in advantage play. I know that he and his accomplice went there and played this game and bet the amounts they did because they knew of the problems with these cards that allowed them to know what was coming and be able to know what the cards were looking at them face down. And that they got them to change some rules, supposedly because his accomplice was 
superstitious when in reality it was done so the, to give them an edge, which the Borgata agreed to. So they, they manipulated everything here to give themselves a big edge, but they did this all with the Borgata's agreement. So it was an advantage play. Cheating is different. Cheating is like if you have the dealer giving you signals about which cards are which. Or if you have the dealer secretly passing extra chips to you when you win. Or if you're using some sort of device to see cards that you otherwise wouldn't be able to see with a human eye. That would be cheating. This is using everything available to you just by looking with your own eyes to give yourself an edge and asking the casino to switch around rules. And you can lie to them about why you want the rules switched around, but they agreed to change the rules. And the way things are done and the procedures, they agreed to do it. So the reason you tell them does not have to be the truth. There's no law saying that if you ask for something to be changed at the casino, you have to tell them the truth. Why? If they agree, they agree. So I, I don't feel they were cheating. I've, I feel that they were engaging in what's known as advantage play. And I think it's BS that the Borgata is suing them. If The Borgata should be suing the playing card company, not the people who won. That's part of the game. Manufacturing proper cards that prevent the player from being able to tell the difference from one card to the other when it face down. That's the casino's responsibility. That is what is built into the casino's edge. That's why the casino has a mathematical edge over you. Is because they have certain responsibilities. They have responsibility of security of the game. They have responsibility of providing the place for you to play and to follow all the licensing requirements. They have the requirement to furnish the equipment used for the game, including the chips, including the cards. They have the responsibility to hire the dealers for the game. So that's why the casino always have has a mathematical edge over you. But if they have devised these games in any way or have provided equipment like the cards to where you can turn it around on them and beat them, that's their fault. They cannot blame the player for noticing something and using it to their advantage. And that's exactly what Ivy did, and that's totally fine. That's not cheating. Even if Ivy knew exactly what they were coming there for, they knew that these cards had this flaw, fine. That's the casino's fault. Just like the casino's not responsible if you show up and you're just not thinking straight and play stupidly. If you show up to a blackjack game and you get dealt an 11 and you don't, you not only don't double it, you stand on it and then you lose and ha- had you hit it or doubled it, you would have gotten a 10 and made 21. That's your fault for being stupid or for showing up in that state of mind or for not knowing the rules of the game well enough. You couldn't sue them for letting you stand on an 11. Similarly, if they don't provide cards that keep the game secure and you take advantage of it, that's their fault. They can't sue you. I guess they can, but they shouldn't. Someone's saying in chat, uh, Ivy was bordering on cheating. Well, I, I don't really believe that there's such a thing as bordering on cheating. I think it's either you're cheating or you weren't. There's different degrees of cheating. There's like really, really blatant bad cheating, and there's uh, moderate or light cheating, or I guess you can call it unethical play. But I, there's no such thing as bordering on cheating. Either you're playing... Uh, and not cheating, or you were cheating in some way. 
So I don't believe he was cheating. I know not everybody agrees with me, but I don't agree he was cheating. And you guys know I don't uh, I don't just blindly defend Ivy because he's a big name in poker. I don't do that for anyone. I'll tell you the truth about how I feel about these things, but I don't believe he was cheating. If that's cheating, then card counting and blackjack's cheating too, and I don't think that is either. Using your own eyes or using anything available to you without having to use any kind of uh, equipment to give yourself an advantage and, and not being in cahoots with any employees, which they weren't, that's not cheating. There's no way that could be cheating. There's even a practice in blackjack known as hole carding where if a dealer is not doing a good job hiding the cards as they deal them, you can sometimes see the cards and uh, use that to your advantage. Again, that's not cheating. Even if you notice the dealer doing it, even if you make sure to play with that dealer and make sure to sit in a spot where you can see them best, it's not cheating if you were just using your eyes to do it. That's the dealer's fault for not protecting the cards well enough. But if you bring a mirror to you, if you bring a mirror to the table or some other device to look at the cards being dealt, then it's no longer you using your eyes and nothing else. Then it's cheating. Because then the casino has done their part and you're using something external to give yourself an edge that you should never have. Jay Stat saying every player at the table must have the same information for a square game. But you're not playing against the other players. You're playing against the house. So that's a different story. In poker... When you play against other players, that's that's a different matter. But when you're playing against other players in poker, there it really has to be a 100% fair, even game, other than your skill, because nobody's supposed to have an edge on the other. But at a casino, it really is an adversarial sort of situation, because you're showing up there to play where the casino has a mathematical edge on you that will always beat you over time. So when you're showing up already playing at a mathematical disadvantage and the game has been formulated to give the casino a mathematical advantage over you, if you can find a way around that mathematical advantage that is not uh, relying upon collusion with employees or external devices, then that's that's kind of like part of the game. If you notice a flaw in whatever they've set up there. So when asking would I have done that if I had the opportunity, yeah. I, I would have done it because the casino is happy to take my money. The casino, they employ hosts there to try to entice me to come down there and lose every penny I have. That's their job. The casino makes every effort to get me down there 
to play games where I'm at a mathematical disadvantage so severe that it's a certainty, it's a virtual certainty that if I play regularly, I will lose. And if I play high limits, I will lose big. So if I can find a way to play those games they offer me and beat them without using external devices or having someone at the casino secretly uh, working with me to cheat, if I can just take the rules and the devices they've set up there for me to use and find a way to work them to my advantage while staying within the confines of the law, that's just me beating them at their own game. You know, it's uh, it's like being a baseball player and there's a pitcher tipping his pitches and going, well, I shouldn't swing at that fastball I know that's coming because, well, I'm cheating by finding, you know, by seeing that that pitcher is tipping the way he's throwing it every time. No. If you know a fastball is coming, then wait for the fastball and swing at it and hit a home run. Or if you find a way to notice when pitchers tip their pitches, then do it. It's part of the game. So is when you go to a casino trying to beat them at the game they've set up. And you have to set you have to step outside the box to do it. Otherwise you're gonna be a certain loser. So I never feel bad for the casino in spots like this because they set up these games so you will lose. And if they're careless in doing so, then that's their fault, not yours. I don't owe the casinos anything. They don't owe me anything. All right, let's uh, move to another casino topic, the Las Vegas Club. That is a downtown casino, or shall I say it was a downtown casino. It is now gone. The Las Vegas Club has closed. It's been around for a while. Not sure how long, but it's uh, it's been a fixture for a while downtown. Uh, they promoted themselves as real values, real people, classic fun. It didn't have a lot of glitz. It was not uh, a flashy place, but uh, it kind of had the old Vegas feel to it. I went there once, and I attempted to count cards in its blackjack game. This is many years ago. And I, I found they were, like, very, very suspicious over there. <laughs> they were, like, just really, really, really on my ass from the second I sat down. So I didn't enjoy it. I, I don't blame them for trying to catch card counters, by the way, so I'm not going to hold this against them. But I, I didn't have fun in there because they were just uh, – they were very suspicious of card counters. They were very, very worried about card counters when I came in. This is, like, more than 10 years ago. This is probably, like, 12 or 13 years ago. Uh, I always wondered how it stayed in business because it really was just uh, a low-end casino downtown and even downtown there were more interesting choices and better uh, located choices. It was on the far west end of Fremont Street in downtown Vegas. So it wasn't even like right there, the Fremont Street experience. 
unlike the the Binions and the Golden Nugget. This was kind of on the side. Uh, here it was. It was o- it was opened in 1930. The funny thing is, there wasn't even legalized gambling in Las Vegas until 1931, and it was actually the very first hotel gambling venue to have a neon sign. They're the first one to have a neon sign. Think how much has changed since then. And it wasn't always in the same location. In 1949, it moved across the street to where it remained until it closed. It uh, took over the spot that was once occupied by the Overland Hotel. Uh, It was owned in... uh, from 1961 to 2002 by uh, Jackie Goggin, who also owned uh, several other properties in downtown. He sold in 2002, along with the plaza, which he owned. And uh, and it really went downhill further from there. The company that bought it, called the Tamaras Group, actually was thinking of changing the whole thing into just a condo hotel. A high-rise condo hotel, but it never happened. This is you know just before the real estate crash, 2007 in Vegas. Everyone wanted condos. It was like condo, condo. Everything was converting to condos in 07, including the apartment complex I was living in at the time. I was booted from my apartment complex because it was becoming a condo, and I was given two options: either buy the condo that we're converting it to, or move out. So I moved out. They were trying to sell it to me for four hundred fifty thousand dollars. It was a two-bedroom apartment. Nothing special about it either. It sold for 700 something thousand dollars eventually, and I felt like a fool for not buying it for 450. Then there was the crash, and then it was worth about 93 thousand dollars. Not even kidding. <laughs> so had I bought it for 450 and didn't sell it when it went up, I would have really been crying because I would have lost a fortune. And that place has really gone to crap, as you might imagine. It was one of the biggest declines ever in uh, real estate. Look it up. It's called the Meridian in Las Vegas. I used to live there. It's a shithole now. Anyway, going back to the Las Vegas club. It was uh, announced that it was sold to two brothers named Derek and Greg Stevens. This just just happened. They owned the D Casino and the Golden Gate Casino on Fremont Street. And uh, then they closed it. So they bought it and just shut it down. They have not said what they're going to do with it, but they bought it and shut it down. It's possible that it may be renovated and reopened to something else. It will not reopen as the Las Vegas Club because I guess Derek and Greg Stevens bought it but did not buy the name. They bought the property but not the name for whatever reason. The name, I guess, has some value because it's been there for 85 years. So if it does reopen, it'll be under a new name. What will happen to the employees and the gaming equipment? Well, it's going to be shipped over to the plaza. But obviously they're not going to keep all the jobs because 
the plaza has an existing staff, so they can't accommodate everybody. And, of course, earlier this year, the Riviera closed, which is another long-standing casino in Las Vegas. It wasn't downtown, but that's going to be replaced with uh, exhibit and meeting space. So if you ever wanted to play at the Las Vegas Club, you won't. It's never going to happen. You had 85 years to do it, but it's not going to happen. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. In the chat, JSTAT says, Summerland... No, that's sorry, that's a different thing he's saying. He's saying, uh, downtown is a dump now. Well, yeah, it pretty much is. And... The plaza, by the way, is being brought up in chat, and I knew this anyway. The plaza, which is still open was Biff's Casino in Back to the Future 2. That's the exact building. You'll recognize it if you take a look. Just they wrote Biff's over where it said the plaza. And yet, downtown has been a dump for a while. Lou Father's saying that. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, Downtown is really where you go if you can't afford the Strip. I don't just mean stay downtown. I mean go downtown. If you go to the Strip and everything seems too expensive to you, you go downtown. So it it really does focus upon a, a lower socioeconomic class than the, uh, than the Strip downtown. It was once the main spot in Vegas. When you talked about going to Vegas in the past, and I don't even mean the distant past, I mean like the 70s and 80s even, you mainly talked about going to downtown. Downtown was the... Hot spot in Vegas. Anything outside of downtown was considered off in the boonies. And then the 90s, the Strip took over. I'm not saying downtown was nice, but that was considered kind of the main area of Vegas. Yeah, there were nicer hotels that were away from downtown, but that was where the action was. And it changed from the place where the action was that also had a bit of seediness to it. There were a lot of seediness to it to just the place you don't ever need to go. There was no reason to go there anymore once the strip rose. Once the strip became the place to be, there was no reason to go to downtown if you could afford the strip. There was nothing there for you. Yeah, there was a place called the Mint downtown, which no longer exists, but the, the Mint, Jay Stats saying he worked there in 1980 when it was a class place. Now, I can't Tell you about that personally. I I couldn't have gone to the Mint in 1980. I would have been eight years old. When my parents went to Vegas in the 70s and 80s and took me with them, they didn't go downtown very often. They stayed at the Las Vegas Hilton in the 80s. They stayed at Circus Circus in the 70s. Was actually was a lot better in the 70s than it is now. Very very different uh, clientele and condition of the property back then in the 70s. And it was also nice for them to bring the little kids there. I loved that place in the 70s. But I, I didn't spend very much time downtown. 
But I, I was always fascinated with the gambling thing. I was I was so fascinated with blackjack and everything, even like from six years old. I remember I would uh, talk about blackjack with my parents, and I'd give them a dollar for my piggy bank to to play for me. And I don't know if they really did it or just pretend they did, but I'll give them credit though. They didn't always come back and say they won. Sometimes they said they won, and sometimes they said they lost. Lou Father asking, have I seen or read Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? I, I wish I could say yes, but I haven't. I, I've been to, but I, I haven't either seen the movie or read the book. Lou Father says, can we talk about West, Westward Ho? Uh, I know it was owned by Station Casinos. I don't know much else about it. I think he just wants to talk about it because of the name. There probably were a lot of Westward Hoes in Westward Ho, is my guess. All right, we had a co-host, and I, I kind of forgot to include him. <laughs> I kind of just forgot he was there. Let's see if I can get him. You'll see who it is in a second. It's not Brandon. Don't get too excited. But it is, it is after 9, though. It's 9.28. Let's see if Brandon's there. No. Ah, there we go. So, so hey, uh, this is Trader Ski. I, uh, because he usually sleeps in the show, I, I just kind of thought he was there with me, even though I never connected him. So uh, I know it's yeah, like so, I was on the show. Yeah. So yeah, you're 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 here now, and uh, you can take more of an active role since Brandon's not here, and you can get a word in edgewise since there's not so many hosts at the same time. And uh, you have anything to add here from the stuff I was talking about with uh, downtown Vegas? And, uh, you know, you're close to my age, so you probably have similar memories and experiences of Vegas in the 70s and 80s. But anything else to add? Yeah, no, I mean, when I first started going to Vegas, it was like right when the Mirage opened. Oh, okay. Wow, that's pretty so, late. Yeah, that was, you know, <laughs> played poker there. and then. But your parents didn't take you before that? No, I never. I didn't oh. go until I was uh, 21. I'll tell you the first time I actually gambled in Vegas, and I wasn't 21. It was in 1987. I was 15, and I played video poker. And uh, I, I was so proud of myself what I would do in the Las Vegas Hilton. I'd find some kind of like corner video poker machine that's far away from where security would probably be. And I would face my back to them because my rationale was, and it was probably correct, if I had my back to them, I was physically large enough to, to look like an adult, unless you get too close. But if you see my face, then I, I don't look anywhere near 21 at the time. So if I'm all the way kind of in the back corner, I just kind of blend in. And I did. And only once did I get caught. And uh, what I always did, knowing that they could just like show up at any time and then I can't cash out what's in the machine, every time I finished a hand, I'd hit cash out. And then you know, back in those days, it would kick out quarters, so I wasn't stuck with a million tickets. And then I just like reinsert the money every time. It sounds like a pain in the ass, but it was either that or not gamble. My parents knew I was doing it, uh, but uh, they they didn't stop me. And I, I don't remember if I won or lost, but I was caught once. And the security guy came up to me and says, "Can I see ID?" And instead of just saying like I'm not 21, I said, "No, I forgot it." <laughs> so. He obviously knew that uh, I didn't forget it. I didn't look anywhere near 21 when I was 15. So uh, they, you know, he's an 
I got like a speech. Uh, you can get in trouble for this. You know, blah blah blah. And I'm like, I, I just kind of like let him talk, and then I walked away. So they. He didn't confiscate any money either because I had when, when I got approached by the security guard, I had zero in the machine. Like I, I had cashed out, and then like shortly after that, they show up. And the law in in Nevada is that no matter how much I won playing the video poker, uh, provided it wasn't like a hand pay where they have to where the machine stops and they have to pay you by hand. Once you've cashed out of the machine, they cannot take it away from you, even if you played illegally. So you're never going to win a, a huge jackpot that way. But, like, let's say I win, uh, I don't know, $500 and cash it out. Even if I'm under 21 and they catch me, they cannot take the 500 back from me. Only if it's still in the machine can they take it. So that was true in 87. It's still true today. I don't know how much more hard line they are today if they catch you under age versus back then. They just told me basically get out of here. So I did. But uh, – that, that was my history of underage gambling. I also placed a few underage sports bits. And the reason I did that, that was a lot safer because I, I'd go up to the sports book. I was a little older than 15 then. I think I was like 17, 18. But what I would do is I'd place the bet, and if they thought I was too young, they'd say, let's see some ID. And then I just couldn't place it. If I've already placed the bet and I have the ticket, then I just give the winning ticket to my dad to cash out. So I did place a few underage sports bets as well. But uh, it's not exactly a problem anymore. I, I uh, Believe it or not, I think it was like two or three years ago when I was at the cashier, uh, someone actually ID'd me. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you've got to be kidding. Do, do you realize how far off you are? And the, so I was wearing my hat at the time, and I think it's because when I have my hat on, I look younger because you can't see that I've lost some hair. So, and I'm not saying I look under 21 by any means with my hat on, but uh, I, I believe that that was what the cashier said. Oh, wow, you look so much younger. Like I didn't, and then I, I took my hat off. And she's like, oh, okay, no, I can see now. Like she, she even admitted with my hat off, I look older. But uh, with a hat on, she was insisting me that I looked so young. So I, I thought that was still ridiculous. I didn't think there, I, I asked, do you, do you really think there's any chance I could be 20? So. That, that was the last time I was ID'd. Probably like two to three years ago. It was not that long ago. But uh, that does not happen that often anymore. When, when was the last time you were ID'd? You know, not never in a casino, but certainly for uh, buying beer or something like that. Um, yeah, within the last year. Really? That's even more extreme. What, what, I think that, it was more corporate, though, where they ID everybody. Okay. You know, I, I always wondered about that. Uh, when they have this policy, like just ID everyone, like like in a line for a nightclub or or at some place, some corporate place that's so afraid of selling liquor to minors. Like, what if someone who's like eighty years old walks in? Like, do they still ID them? Like, wh- where is the line where they say we're absolutely not going to do it? Right. Well, they say if you're over fifty, they have to card you. But how do they know you're over fifty? <laughs> you mean under fifty? Or under fifty, right? Yeah. Okay, so I, I I didn't know what the cutoff was. Like I really I asked them once, and they didn't have an answer for me in one of those type of places where they just ID'd everybody. I, I said like, you know, what if my grandmother came here? She's ninety years old. Like, w- would you ID her? Uh, like, where does it stop? Where where, where do you, where does it just seem too ridiculous to ID someone? Because I think I'm already kind of like at that point. Like I think that there's like like how many people in the world who are twenty look as old as I look right now? I, I think there's very few. So 
I, I think they can pretty safely say that someone who looks like me has no chance of being 20. But whatever. Let's, uh, I did have a question on this uh, Chad Batista segment. Yeah, would like poker stars just auto ship the money to his parents? Do you think, or uh, I assume you'd have to contact them and send some sort of death certificate. That's my guess. I, I've I've told my parents these things. Uh, like here's where I'm currently playing online, and you know, I'll, I'll probably have money on there if I abruptly die. So please get it. Like I I I really I'm such a cheap Jew that. I do not want any money of mine to be stuck anywhere, even after I'm dead. <laughs> like, it, it'll bother me lying in the ground to know that some of my money is stuck on Bovada and, and it's never going to be retrieved. So, like, it's, it's very important to me. Like, a, like my parents, they, they know where my safety deposit boxes are and they know, uh, they, they know all these things. The, the safety deposit boxes they'd eventually get anyway, it, it probably get notified at some point but uh like the online poker accounts they have to know they're there or they'll just never get them so like i tell them this is where i'm playing online and i i don't know what the procedure would be if i died to collect the money but uh i i said make sure to get it there's got to be some procedure they have in place yeah i don't remember if they ask for something when you sign up or if there's a way to put it in after the fact there's nothing as far as like next of kin for your money. I've never seen that when I've signed up for a poker site. But th- there's got to be some way for a relative to prove that you've died and that they're the ones entitled to inherit the money. But that's, that's a, the best question is like how do they know that uh, even if they are related to you that they are the ones who can get the money? Like let's, let's say I died and I, I left all my money to Benjamin and then I, I had uh, a bad relationship with my parents. I didn't want them getting any money, which is not true, but let's say that was a situation, hypothetically. And then my parents are like, oh, wow, he, I bet he has money on Bovada. So they call up Bovada. And they're like, uh, yeah, we're Todd's parents. Uh, we want to get his money. Here's proof he died. Like, would they just hand over the money or would they demand proof of, like, that they have that, – that there's not a will that says it's supposed to go elsewhere? Like, like what would they do? I have a feeling they just ship it to any relative who could prove that you died. Right. Or would they even make it easy if it's a known player like this and just proactively do it? I no, I don't think they do that. But the question is, would they make it hard if you're not a known player? Would they just say, you know, F you, you're not getting it. Tough luck. It's stuck here. Like, like what would they do? Or would they just stall you? Like, I, I could even picture like some of these shady sites just like not paying out, saying, sorry, we don't, you know, you can't prove, you can't prove it. It's too hard. We don't know you're entitled to get the money. Uh, like, like putting the person through, through so many hurdles that unless it's like a huge sum of money that they just don't bother. I don't know these things. I'm just theorizing. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see uh, how much they have so far from that those situations. Yeah, like like so. What do they do if if some relative who is not entitled to get the money just contacts and proves who they are, proves that the person died, and just gets it? So, and, and like, do they have rules like like okay, take someone whose parents have died and have no children. I'm back. And okay. so take someone whose parents have died and have no children, and the only the only close relatives they have alive are like a brother and sister. Let's just make it simpler and say there's just one brother and that's it. So the brother contacts Bovada and says, "Hey, uh, this guy died. He's my brother. Uh, he has no children. 
our parents are dead. I'm the one who'd be entitled to inherit the money. Like, like how much proof would they require that the parents are really dead, that he had no children? Like, like how, do you, how do you prove that someone did not have children? Like, like how do you prove this to a, a foreign company like Bovada? I, I, don't, I wonder what they would require. Or I wonder if they just say, okay, you can prove you're his brother. You can prove he's dead. Okay, here's the money. Like, they made us do that. Because I don't think they care. I, I, if they know the money is uh, – like they're either just going to make it hard to get the money, period, or they're not going to care who it goes to. They don't give a crap. So I, like, I, don't yeah, I am surprised we haven't heard of any stories like that just where people are trying to get the money and there's been an issue. I haven't heard of anything like that in all the years. You know, I think the reason is it's because I think the poker players – who die early are typically ones who've had a lot of problems like Chad Batista and probably don't have a lot of money sitting online. And if they do like, like as his family said, we, we want to keep everything private. We, you know, we, we don't want to talk about it. So they're like the least likely people to come onto forums and complain about it. Like we'd never hear about it. And then people who are of, of an age that would die of natural causes are usually too old to be playing online poker. I think that's why we're not hearing about it. But I don't know. You know uh, maybe I should instruct my parents to create uh, to create threads all over the internet if they can't get my money off of Bovada. So maybe I can set a precedent that way if uh, I prematurely kick the bucket. All right. So speaking of someone who died named Chad, Chad Brown died last year of cancer at a pretty young age, I think like 53. And at one point he was married to Vanessa Russo. Vanessa Russo, as most of you probably know, is on Big Brother currently on CBS and is now a lesbian. She's uh, now in a relationship and has been for two years with a girl. And uh, it's always been kind of sketchy, the whole thing, of what happened with Vanessa and Chad. Uh, The weirdest thing is that she left uh, Chad while he had the terminal cancer diagnosis, which is... Pretty bad, in my opinion, even if the relationship sucks. Because when someone has a terminal diagnosis, you know, number one, they're not going to move on to someone else. Number two, they have a very short time left on this earth. Uh, uh, Number three, it's a lot of stress to put them under to get a divorce at that point. Number four, even if the marriage is terrible, uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel. They're going to be dead soon, and then you can move on. It's just kind of an asshole thing to do, in my opinion, when you're with someone with terminal cancer to leave them, even if the marriage sucks. Just, Just... let it play out, be by their side, or at the very least, don't put them through a divorce. And then when they're dead, obviously move on. Uh, so it was kind of weird that she left him when he had terminal cancer and she claimed that they were still friends. But the whole thing was weird. Like if they're still friends, like why not just stay with him till he dies? She knows he's going to die soon. She knows he's not going to live this out for 30 more years where they're stuck in an unhappy marriage for 30 years. They, they, she knows he's going to be gone soon, and he was. So, like, why leave him at that point? 
And we never got an answer to that. We, we never understood. And uh, so I, I got a message from someone that Vanessa Russo, who's on Big Brother and making it fairly deep into the whole competition there, was on something called uh, Big Brother After Dark, which is uh, it's pretty much two, it's like two hours of footage every day, not just the days the show's on, but every day, where you just kind of see them sitting around talking, the contestants. It's, uh, it's almost like the more reality version of the reality show. That rather than all the contrived situations, blah, 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 and all the competitions, it's just kind of like seeing them hang out and talk. Which I always thought would be much more interesting. I would actually like to see something similar to the Truman Show without, without like the whole setup of, of like everything being fake. But like really like a 24-hour cam where you just turn it on and watch what's going on in some sort of uh, house where a lot of interesting people are together. That, then I'd actually watch. That would be interesting. But I, I never like these reality shows like Big Brother where they – slap a bunch of people together in a house and have these competitions and have these games and rules and, uh, you know, throw people out. I, I, I would just, like, turn on the camera and watch. And and it wouldn't be a good TV show because it would run 24-7, but, but or just slap it on some channel, the reality show channel, where, where you're just watching uh, hours at a time of people in a house. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of boring time, but uh, I, I think that you'll catch some interesting things. At least you're watching real life. So Big Brother After Dark kind of attempts to be that, except it's only two hours. And I think it, you know, it's pre-recorded, and they put together what they think is the most interesting. But they don't, they don't have the time to slickly produce everything. So it really is just kind of everyone sitting around talking. So apparently on Big Brother After Dark, which is only accessible on certain uh, cable providers, and it's not easy to get. I even tried on Torrents, and I couldn't find it. The Seriously Serious apparently did. I heard it was on episode 57A, which occurred on Friday. But then Seriously Serious watched it and said it was not. The it I'm referring to is the claim by Vanessa, and this is, by the way, just this past week, not while he was still alive, that Chad Brown cheated on her. (laughs) So... Uh, I have all kinds of problems with that. I don't know if this really happened or not. I was told that, and this is what was said also by one of the forum posters, BCR. He said, uh, it was along the lines of one of the other girls in the house said, like, were you mad? And she said something, yeah, like, yeah, kind of, but I thought it was a guy thing and they all do that. So... Basically, she was saying that Chad Brown cheated on her, but she wasn't really pissed off about it because she just thought, okay, well, that's just uh, that's just what men do. I, I guess just all men cheat. So, hmm, what should I do about that? All men cheat, and I, I'm unhappy about being cheated on. I know. I'll go be a lesbian. <laughs> I don't know if that's how it went, but it's, it's kind of a weird thing to say. But Vanessa is not that young anymore. I guess she's around 30. I, do you know her exact age? No clue, but I'd say probably mid-30s. 
Yeah. So, like, how do you say that at this point? I thought they all do it. Like, when do you ever think that? Even as like a teenager, do you a teenage girl? How many teenage girls just think that all guys cheat? You just deal with it. Like, especially in this day and age. Uh, that's that's a weird thing to say. But uh, I think it's pretty lousy. Even if it's true, even if Chad really did cheat on her, the time to say something like that, if you really want to, I, I don't think you really should be airing your dirty relationship laundry ever. But if you're going to, do it when it happens. If she, if Chad was alive and he cheated on her, and she found out, and she came out and said, "Hey, you know, my husband Chad cheated on me. What an asshole." Well, fine. As long as it was true, he did it, she caught him, and she exposed him. Fine. Uh, if shortly after the divorce, she was asked, why did you get a divorce? She said, oh, yeah, he was not faithful to me. Okay. But I, I still think maybe that's kind of bad form when the guy's about to die. But after he's gone, that's the worst time to say it because he can't even defend himself. Uh, what if he didn't do it? What if she was cheating too? Um, what if it was a circumstance where she had already decided she was a lesbian and she just was not having sex with him for months and he finally couldn't take it anymore and said, I've got to get it from somewhere. Or maybe the relationship was just about over anyway. They just hadn't formally separated or divorced yet. And she considered that cheating. I mean, we've got to hear from him. We'll give him a chance to explain it if he wants. But why say that about her dead ex-husband? What is that even accomplishing? Isn't it bad enough the guy died of cancer in his early 50s? Do you have to say that about him on national TV? I think that's pretty bad. So I I just haven't liked the whole way that she has treated Chad Brown ever since she left him. And I, I always thought it was a mismatched couple. I mean, they were they were like 20-something years apart in age, which is already suspect. And you have to wonder why she did that. You know, was it about gold digging? Was it uh, – who knows what this was. But uh, then she leaves him while he has terminal cancer. Then she talks about how he cheated on her after he's already died. She can't just let him rest in peace. This is not the time to say that. And it's not like he did something that is uh, much worse than that. It's not like he was beating her all the time and she just is finally getting the strength to tell people how she was a battered woman after he's already gone. Fine, you know, you want to talk about that after the guy's already dead, I can understand that. But cheating on you, I'm not, I'm not saying that's a good thing to be doing. I'm not saying he should have if that's really what he did. But that's kind of a more common thing. It's the reason a lot of marriages end. And you don't go saying that about someone when they're not around to defend themselves, when they're, they've died in their early 50s from cancer, after you've already left them when they've been diagnosed terminal. So I have a feeling if Chad could be around to defend himself, we'd probably hear some things about her that would change our view of this whole thing. I, I don't picture Vanessa Russo as the perfect wife who was shocked and blindsided by 
Chad Brown cheating on her. I bet there's more to this story, if it even really did happen. What do you think? Uh-oh, Trader Ski, you fall asleep? No, 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 I was, no, I was on mute. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I just think it's all her character. I mean, to say it is so out of line when he's not there to defend himself. You know, I mean, I've... He just seems like a, he just seemed like a really good guy, and I don't think you know. I think maybe something would have come out before if, if that was true. Yeah, and I just think it's not a reasonable. There's no reason to talk about it. Yeah, there isn't, and and yeah, you know, sometimes people seem like good guys in public and really aren't in private. So I'm not going to say that. Uh, yeah, maybe the Chad Brown in private could have been worse than the public. It's possible. We don't know, but uh, but yeah, from what I saw, and even from my personal interactions with the guy, he seemed nice. And but even if he was cheating on her, this isn't the time to say it. Now now is the time you you keep quiet and and you shouldn't really be that bitter because the bottom line, Vanessa, is you're standing and breathing every day and he's in the ground. So she could have said something if she wanted to get her. If she wanted to talk about it that an ex boyfriend had cheated on her or something to that effect. Yeah, that wasn't naming him by name or saying my ex husband's. So everybody knows who it is. Yeah, exactly. And uh, someone else in the forum said something that I, I don't fully agree with this, but it does bring up one thing that I, I think is worth mentioning. Uh, Four Dragons wrote in the forum, if she was hella gay the whole time she was married, then she was lying to him when she took her vows. Hence, she cannot be cheated on. She used him. He found out and went elsewhere. Well, uh, we don't know that for sure anyway, but uh, it's possible that she got married. It's possible she's bisexual. It's possible that she was confused and didn't realize what she was. It's possible she was trying to force herself in a conventional lifestyle to please her parents or whatever. I mean, there's been a lot of people who, who were gay that ended up in heterosexual marriages because they thought that was the thing they had to do and then later realized that it wasn't right and not yeah they weren't feeling satisfied with it and had to end it. So I, I can understand that occurring. Uh, and, and so, yes, you can still cheat on someone who's married you but is gay but at the same time that does figure into it i i think in that uh if that was affecting the closeness and the uh the sex they were having the frequency of sex they were having uh or the romance it can cause problems and that that can be true also of people who are not gay that just uh, one isn't into the other, and and you're just, they're just not feeling a connection. I I wonder how you can get married like that. But sometimes people are good at faking it at the beginning. So may, maybe that did play into it. Maybe maybe he just wasn't getting any affection from her and found someone else who gave it to him. And it's it, it's tough if you're if you're getting like no affection in your marriage. Uh, the right thing to do is get a divorce. But if you're getting no affection. And then an opportunity falls in your lap to get affection somewhere else. Uh, it, it sometimes can be hard to say no to that. Now, as I said, the right thing to do is to break up or get a divorce. But uh, uh, you know, if you you also have to blame the person giving no affection causing that, and it's very possible she didn't give Chad much or any affection during the marriage because she actually doesn't like men. And we don't know for sure if she's even fully gay or if she's. Uh, Bisexual, I don't know. She's never really been clear about that. She she put some nonsense on Twitter about uh, love knows no gender, but that's crap. That's just uh, 
That's like a touchy-feely way of saying it. I hate when people say that love knows no gender. Of course it does. It, you, you can't have romantic feelings for someone of a gender that you're not attracted to. It's not possible. So I'm not being closed-minded because I can't have romantic love for a man. I'm just not attracted to men. Just like uh, you can't say a gay man is closed-minded because he can't have romantic love for a woman. So if you're bisexual and can have romantic love for both, fine, but don't, don't, don't say love knows no gender. It's not true. I, I, even that statement bothered me. Like, don't put that. Just say, uh, you know, I love my girlfriend, Melissa. That's it. You know, you don't have to say love knows no gender. Just It's, it's almost like lecturing people. It's almost like, like you're more enlightened than the rest of us because you can love either gender and we can't. Someone told me that, and I've heard this before, that Chad knew about the girlfriend before he died. Yeah, but that's not so much of a big deal because if they decided the marriage was over and they're, well, I mean, they did divorce, but so they were divorced already, first of all. But even if they weren't, let's say, let's say, you know, Chad was dying and and she said, oh, by the way, Chad, uh, you know, the reason I haven't been that affectionate towards you is because I'm a lesbian. And I, you know, I, I don't want to divorce you because you, know, you of your condition, and I want to stick by you. But at the same time, you know, I've, I just, uh, I'm really sorry, but I'm just uh, most my romantic attraction really is to other women, and uh, there's this one woman I've really gotten to like, and you know, can you please just be understanding? And you know, maybe he would have said yes, but that's that's not a huge deal. I can understand like you know, I won't divorce you because of what you're going through, but uh, you know, would you mind if I also conducted this relationship? Which I I still think you should wait with, but. So I, I guess he knew that she was she had a girlfriend. Uh, some of these guys, I don't know if Chad, like I, I wonder when when she, Chad married her, did she say anything about being into girls? I wonder. Did he just like picture? Oh well, I'll have a threesome one day. This is cool. Or did was he like totally blindsided by the attraction to girls? I, I have a feeling like he knew but thought, okay, it's no big deal. Like maybe I'll have a threesome one day. Uh, the, the problem can come with that when – like if you're going to be with someone, if you're going to be with a girl who, who is bisexual, um, if she's someone who has had relationships with women before or has expressed the desire to, uh, then you're in much more danger of that happening than if someone who like would have sex with other women but really doesn't want a relationship with one. And I, I've I've encountered women who've been both ways. Like I've encountered women who say like I'm bisexual. I'd have sex with other women, but I I would never want a relationship with one. And I've encountered ones that say, oh yeah, I'll have a relationship with either gender, and have like the the ones that have had relationships with either gender or would. Those are the ones much more likely to just like get up and leave and say, okay, I'm going to be with a woman than someone who, who's just like on the sexual side of it. So maybe Chad went in with the expectation that, oh, wow, this is cool. Pictured another girl in their bed and then that's not exactly how it worked out. I don't know. Just guessing these things.
Vegas Jim PMing me. You should try to get the Duke of Fremont Street on. He's quite the character. Should call a poker site. Uh, oh, he's saying I should call a poker site and see what their policy is on that. About if you uh, if someone dies, it's not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. So let's do it. Let's do it. In fact, you guys wanted Chico Loco. I'll give you Chico Loco. We're going to call it Bovada. Hello, you've reached Bovada. Thank you for calling. For customer service, press 2. To make a deposit, you've reached the customer service center. To make a deposit or request a payout, press 1. For poker, press 2. For casino, press 3. For sports, press 4. For all other inquiries, press 5. All right. We're going to get an answer from Bovada on this. This will try. Well, uh, welcome to Bovada Customer Service. My name is Leah. How may I help you? Yeah. Um, I got a question for you because um, I, I – I got a brother who's uh, playing on – or he played. I shouldn't say he's playing because you're going to hear what happened to him. But I got a brother who died in a drive-by, and he plays on this site, mm-hmm. and he's got his, he got his, his money still on here. You know, uh, I want to know – and I know I got to prove it and shit, okay? So I know I'm not asking you to send me nothing right now, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm asking you if someone has an account on Bovada and mm-hmm. they get killed – in some way, they they die. They bought the farm. They uh, you know, they're six feet under. What what do you do mm-hmm. at that point? How how do the relatives get the money from him? Um, sir, um, this is what you do, sir. Um, you mentioned that unfortunately uh, the account holder is uh, no longer with us, right? Yeah, yeah. He got the, he he got killed on 18th Street the other day. I, it's, oh, it's, it's very hard sorry. for me to talk about. Yeah, man, it's, it's very un- unfortunate. The the Norwalk yeah. ga- the Norwalk game came and they were it's all about the Norwalk and then they shot him and I was like, oh my god, this, it's, oh, yeah, this I, I'm sorry to hear about your yeah, loss, sir. Yeah. Is he your brother, by the way? Yeah, he's my brother, and he died. In, uh, I tell him he should stop the gang banging, but he he didn't listen to me. So anyway, he played oh. on, he played on Volvada, and uh, I know he has some money on there. I don't know how much he had, but I know he played on there and he liked the site. And I go, you know what? Uh, at the very least. I think I should take the money out and maybe give it to a, I don't know a, a uh, anti-gang charity or something like that. But I want to get the money out somehow. Right. So how do I do this? Um, sir, um, by any chance would you have any information about uh, the account of your brother? See, no, I don't got that, but I could probably get it. You know, he, oh. he's got he's got the computer, and I got you know I can get on there and, and probably try to find this this stuff on there. But I, I've got to do it. But I I want to know the procedure. So I know what to do. So I, I just I don't need to know specifically for his account. You don't got to give me nothing about that. I'm yes. saying I'm saying what? Where do I do, do now? Like, let's say I get his account number. Okay, what what do mm-hmm. I do? What do I do at that point to prove that my brother he got shot on 18th Street? How do I prove that happened? And how do I prove I am his brother and I am entitled to get the money from him? Uh, with regard to that one, sir, um, since uh, the department that handles. Your concern is currently closed. Um, would it be okay if I ask that you give us a call any time between the hours of 9 in the morning until 8.30 in the evening Eastern time? All right. So now, hold on a second. 
you say the department. Do you have a department to handle uh, a specific department to handle people who are killed in drive-bys who play on Bovada? I'm very surprised yes. about that. Wow. So yes, sir. Because apparently uh, we won't be able to provide you with any information, especially that um, the the account can no longer be verified because no longer no, with us. But I'm not asking so you for the, call. Yeah, I, uh -huh. Hold on, hold on. I'm not asking you for information. I'm asking you for in general. How do you do it? That's what I'm asking you. That's that's what I'm ask, I'm telling you, sir. Give us a call uh, anytime between nine in the morning until eight thirty in the evening Eastern time, so you can get in touch with the department who handles your concerns. Okay, but you've had this they before. You've, you, had, you've had this before, uh -huh. where, where somebody called in and said, "Hey, you know, somebody I know, someone who's my in my family has, has uh, you know bought the farm, and we got to uh, we got to get the money off the account." You've, you've had that call before here. Yes, sir. And it is being handled by a different department. Oh, That's you, what, the reason why. What is the name of that de department so I can ask for them? Um, uh, just tell them, sir, that uh, you want to get in touch with the department that handles accounts of deceased players. Okay, so that is the name. is the, the deceased players uh, uh, department uh, at Bovada. Okay. Is, is there like a full-time yes. employee there who handles just the deceased players? Are there that many people on Bovada? Yes. Is there that many people on Bovada who die? Do you have like a full-time person that's just about people who die on, on Bovada? Uh, yes, that is correct, wow. sir. This is a department that handles that's, that's accounts of deceased have, players. Man. Man, I wouldn't they have will that provide job. you all the information you need in that's, order for you to get the money. You must have a lot of people who are dying on Bovada. How do you have? How do you have one guy whose whole job is to get people's money off who died? I cannot believe you had this many dead players. What is? What is wrong? No. I think maybe it's a no, curse that you got here. Uh, we don't. We don't have a specific. Uh, uh, we don't have uh, many deceased players, or it's just that. That particular department is also involved in handling um, accounts oh, okay, from okay. deceased See, players. See, I, I, I thought that maybe you have in a guy. Event, I thought maybe uh -huh. you have a guy that you hire. You say, okay, your only job is to sit at the desk and take requests from relatives no. of players who have died because we have so many people who are kicking the bucket on Bovada. They're dropping like flies here. We need a separate guy to process this. I thought, wow, maybe I shouldn't we, play there. Maybe, we, maybe I will be next. You know. We don't have that uh, specific okay. person, but one of our departments handles those okay. Um, situations. Okay. Uh, thank you for the, the help here. I'll go back tomorrow and I find this out, okay? Ah, not a problem, sir. Um, it would also be helpful if you will be able to find out, um, say, the email address. So that by tomorrow, again, it's okay. 9 in the morning until 8.30 in the evening Eastern time. Um, provide the name of your brother. Okay, um, I, I will do if, that. Uh, you can get his account number I, or email I will address. That, I'm going to, that I'm way, gonna, they can uh, put a note on I'll the tell account. I'll you what I'm going right? to do. I'm going to turn on his computer tonight. I'm going to find these things. I hope I don't find nothing on there that's embarrassing to him. You know, I know he's into some weird shit, so I don't know. Like, I, I hope I don't find nothing I ain't supposed to find, but I got to get this. He, he would want it that way that I get this money off, and I will go on there and I'll get the account number and I go back tomorrow. Thank you very much. Yes, not a problem, sir. Anything else for no, today? That's all. Goodbye. All right. We got our answer. <laughs> oh, boy. Imagine if they did have a deceased players department. Sounded like she was going that way at the beginning. <laughs> All right. I, I kind of felt bad for Chico Loco during the call, even though the whole thing was fictitious. I, I kind of felt bad for him. Kind of felt bad for what his family just went through. All righty.
So we killed two birds with one stone. We brought Chico Loco back, which some people have requested, and uh, we got an answer about the way Bovada handles uh, accounts of dead people. So thank, thank you for bringing that up. This is why we keep you around. All right, so Poker Stars was forced to drop a sponsored individual that was a well-known soccer star, Neymar Jr., He's 23 years old. He plays for, I, I believe, for Manchester United in the UK. I apologize if I got that incorrect, but I'm not a fan of UK soccer or football. But they're, they're really pushing, you know, the new poker stars under Amaya, they're really pushing the poker stars pros who are not really poker pros, but who are just famous outside of poker, which I think is smart. Because that that really draws people in who are fans of the famous people they're sponsoring. And then it draws them into to poker stars because these, these people have exposure in the first place. So they, you know, you're watching this person you're a fan of, whether it's a, a poker player or sorry, whether it's a, a soccer player or anything else. And then they're, they're wearing a poker stars logo or there's a poker stars logo behind them during an interview. We go, oh, poker stars. And, you know. You think this person who you really admire or respect for whatever else they're doing, if they're associated with poker stars, maybe you want to try it. So I, I think that's a lot better than sponsoring some online pros that aren't even known to anyone except for people who already really into poker. So they're sponsoring this Neymar Jr., and apparently they were really, really, really hammering the UK media with ads featuring Neymar Jr., and it was a very big and, I think, successful ad campaign until they had to drop him because he was too young. Yeah. Now, how is that possible? How, how did they have to drop Neymar Jr. for being too young if he's 23? He's definitely old enough to gamble in all jurisdictions. First, when I heard this, I thought, wait, is he like 20 or something? But no, he's, he's 23. Well, there's a weird law in the UK. It's in the rule book of the United Kingdom Gambling Commission guidelines. That rule states that when it comes to advertisements and promotions, nobody under the age of 25 can be featured gambling or playing a significant role. It's a really weird law. So you can gamble if you're 23. You just can't be featured in ads about gambling until you're 25. Really odd. It might be, I'm just guessing here, it might be their attempt to prevent the marketing of gambling to young people. Assuming that young people will appeal to other young people. And that... If they're marketing someone who's 23, that it might appeal to teenagers. So maybe they're figuring if they only have people 25 and up in the ads, then it won't appeal as much to teenagers. I, I, I have to be my guess as to why they're doing that in the UK. There's no such law in the US, by the way. Uh, so he... Now, I guess he doesn't play for uh, Manchester United, by the way. He's... Uh, 
I guess he plays for a different team. But uh, he was part of what's known as the Dream Team Collection, which is a promotion that's being pushed very hard in the UK. And uh, he would he was featured alongside uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and Ronaldo Nazario. It was supposedly the most expensive promotion in PokerStars history, this Dream Team collection. So what they did after they had to drop Neymar Jr., they replaced him with another world-renowned athlete. Another person who you think of for his uh, prowess on the field and manly demeanor. That would be Daniel Negreanu. <laughs> yes, he was, he was replaced with Daniel Negreanu in the Dream Team collection in these advertisements. They just like photoshopped in Negreanu over where uh, Neymar Jr. used to be. He's, he's next to Cristiano Ronaldo and Ronaldo Nazario. And then Negranu, <laughs> who's 40. So uh, no more Neymar Jr. for Poker Stars. Yeah, he plays for Barcelona, not Manchester United. I, I knew I'd screw this up. I should have looked that up beforehand. I, I just assume that any famous soccer player plays for Manchester United. That's like, if you ask the average American to name a team, a famous soccer team in Europe, everybody's going to say Manchester United. Let's see what else we got here. $2.2 billion worth of assets was seized from what's known as the, and I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce this, Nedrangheta Mafia. The Nedrangheta Mafia. I don't know how to say it. N-D-R-A-N-G-E-H-G-H-E-T-A. N-D-R-A-N-G-H-E-T-A. The Nedrangheta... Try this again. Nedrangheta Mafia. There we go. This is apparently one of the largest criminal organizations in the world apparently worth about 70 billion dollars a 70 billion dollar criminal organization which is crazy 70 billion they are based out of Italy and There's been a crackdown here, an attempt to slow them down a bit. So 2 billion euros, which is worth about $2.2 billion in the U.S., and 41 arrest warrants were served. This is back in July, by the way, but hadn't talked about it till now. And uh, of most interest here, by the way, the... Uh, Dragetta Mafia seems to be most into drug dealing. 
the drugs are really their big thing, not so much the gambling. But the gambling is still uh, $2.2 billion worth. And uh, apparently that was mainly used to launder money, so it was an important part. They weren't just wiping out a small piece of their income. They were wiping out their uh, a major way that they, they were laundering money. But police say, ha, said they have seized at least 1,500 betting shops, 45 Italian companies, 11 foreign firms outside of Italy, and 82 gambling websites. I'm not sure what those websites are. I tried to look for them, and I could not find which particular gambling websites were seized. But if you were gambling on a website that vanished in late July then that's probably what happened. It was probably seized by the Italian police for being run by the mafia. 82 gambling sites have gone down as part of the seizure. These were mostly based out of Malta, where a lot of gambling sites are based. So there's cooperation through Malta to shut these down. So, makes you wonder of all these sites you play on. I mean, you know about Poker Stars who owes them, owns them. That's Amaya, and same with Full Tilt. But and Bovada, I I don't even know who owns them these days. It's supposedly Calvin Eric sold it a while ago, but there's some rumors that he didn't really sell it and it just pretended to have sold it. I don't even know who really owns them, but it doesn't surprise me that some of these sites are owned by the mafia or other. Scary criminal organizations. That's why I've been a little bit afraid in some cases for these sites that are uh, of dubious ownership to really lean on them very, very hard after they go belly up. Because you never know who you're messing with. How would you like it if you were like harassing a company that you felt screwed you. I'm not saying you should be scared to do this, by the way, but let's say you were really, really leaning hard on a company that has screwed you in some way, a gambling company. And uh, I I don't mean just calling and asking for your money, but really, really screwing with them to try to get back at them for not paying you. And it turns out that you've been screwing with the the mafia, the Trangetta mafia that has $70 billion in assets. Would you be a little bit scared at that point that that's who you're screwing with? I know I would. When I spoke out against AP and UB, I even thought about that. I thought, you know, I I don't really know who owns this, but, you know, what if I'm speaking out very loudly against a, a violent criminal organization that's behind all this? But I said, I gotta do it anyway. It's important this message gets out. Number two, I think by speaking out loudly against it, I think it's less likely that they would have gone after me because that would make them look even worse. But uh, still, when you don't know who owns something and it's a criminal enterprise and you speak out very loudly against them, you are taking a risk. I mean, look how look how hard I spoke out against lock poker going back years. I I just didn't think that Jennifer Larson was a mafioso. I just couldn't picture that. Let's see if we got any texts here. 
I got a text here to actually my personal phone number, not even to the radio phone number. <laughs> this is about Vanessa Russo. Okay, this is to my personal phone number. Someone texted me. They said, sounds like one dumb carpet muncher. And this is from someone who's a female, too. <laughs> someone I know personally listens to the show. Not Benjamin's mom, by the way. Not anyone I've ever gone out with or anything. Let's see here. I have a text from uh, the 702. What's the Borgata going to argue? Referring to Phil Ivey. Well, they're, they're going to argue that uh, Ivey took advantage of something that uh, a flaw in the game that's not supposed to exist and that he manipulated them into changing the rules because of this flaw and he was basically cheating. That's what they're going to argue. It was argued successfully in the UK where Phil Ivey already lost his court case in something very, very similar. All right. Uh, Jay Stad in chat saying, we know the mafia doesn't own Caesars. Druff is still on the air. Yeah. I speak out against Caesar so often, it's good that the mafia doesn't own them. Otherwise, I, I might be dead by now. Trader Ruski, are you still with us? I'm still awake. All right, good. So let's let's talk about the, the Jared Foundation. That It's just come out. This is the foundation that belonged to Jared Fogle, who was recently busted for child pornography and having sex with underage girls and, and paying for sex with underage girls. Uh, apparently, they raised... $2 million for their foundation to fight childhood obesity and the amount of money that made it over to child obesity organizations was 0.0. Yep. All the money was stolen. The director of the Jared Foundation, whose name is Russell Taylor, or shall I say uh, the former director, he was fired in May after his house was raided. He was paid the small sum of 60% of whatever the charity took in. <laughs> That's a great charity. That's a great charity that pays its director 60% of all donations. Nothing shady about that. 26% of the money is unaccounted for. And the remaining 14% uh, went to, quote, expenses. 0% went to the children, to the obese children of the United States that uh, this was supposed to be helping. So they collected $2 million worth of donations and basically stole it all. In addition to producing child pornography, apparently Russell Taylor used some of this money to make the child pornography, but... I don't know how much really could have been spent on that because I, I don't think it's not like he was paying the children to do it. He was uh, there's really not that much expense to the whole thing. I think the guy just had hidden cameras there and was filming children taking baths and you know other things that uh, should not have been on tape for sure. But it doesn't cost a lot of money to do that. Probably cost a few thousand dollars to set that up at most. 
I think Russell was just taking it. I think he was just pocketing it. So, yeah, that's that's also been going on. And if you want to say, oh, well, Russell was the one doing this, well, how would Jared explain how his foundation was paying Russell 60%? How, how is Jared not aware of this? How is he not overseeing what Russell was getting paid? Why was he never asking for the books for the charity so he can see where the money's been going? He probably knew. He and this Russell guy were good friends. They were trading child pornography. Or at least Jared was receiving what was being sent to him and enjoying it. So this is pretty bad. Makes Jared look even worse. He's a, a thief in addition to a pedophile. This guy had all kinds of problems. But uh, this made me think about charities in general and the problem with them. A small charity, even one that seems to be noble on the surface, you know, one having to do with Jared Fogel, who's very visible as the spokesman of Subway, trying to fight childhood obesity. And this is someone who went through childhood obesity himself, so you'd think he'd be close to that topic and really want to see some progress with that. Uh, you feel safe donating to it, and in reality, all the money is being stolen. And the director is a pedophile, and the and Jared himself is a pedophile. But even putting the pedophile stuff aside, the money all got stolen. So the small foundations are much more likely to steal the money. There's really no oversight. There's very few people involved in these small charities, and it's very tempting for them to steal the money. And it's very hard for you as an outsider to truly see where it goes. They're, they're supposed to report that needs to be accessible to the public. Uh, they're supposed to report where the money went, but sometimes they don't fulfill those requirements. Other times they do, but nobody ever bothers to look. And other times they just lie about it. And it's very hard to verify. You, you can send in the filing, but who's going to go check on it? Who's going to go check that the money really went where you said it went, unless they're really, they have a target on their backs for suspicion of wrongdoing. But if they don't, you usually just read it and think, okay, this is probably really what happened. So you're at much more risk for a small charity stealing the money. And a large charity, they're much less likely to steal the money. But you're going to see a lot of that money get lost in bureaucracy. A large charity has a lot of bureaucracy and outside expenses. When you see charities advertised on TV, that's, that's very expensive. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Like, Have you ever stopped to think when you, you're watching a charity being advertised on TV and you think, why don't they just donate the money that they're spending on this ad to the charity, like to whoever they're trying to help? Like the, the kids in Africa they're trying to help that you're seeing on this commercial, wouldn't it be nice if they could just receive the money that is being spent on this commercial. Now, of course, the response would be that this commercial is going to generate more money than it's costing for them to put on. But still, the bottom line is a lot of money is being spent on these commercials. A lot of money is being spent on these high-profile charities that does not go directly to those that are in need that the charity is for. So you're stuck watching a large percentage disappear 
into bureaucratic expenses and promotions and things like that. Or you're risking with a smaller charity that is going to outright steal it. Neither is that good. And that's why you always have to watch out for charities. Now, scammers love charities. We had a scammer that was involved with Poker Fraud Alert that ran a charity scam. When I say involved, he wasn't uh, someone who had anything to do with Poker Fraud Alert's uh, administration. The only person who's that is me. But he was a member on Poker Fraud Alert. And he put on a charity podcast that he stole a lot of the money. So you always have to watch out because scammers love charities and they love them for two reasons. Number one, people let their guard down for charities. People are less likely to look into a charity if the story sounds good enough than they are to look into some sort of claim about investing in something. So let me give you an example. If you say, hey, I'm here, I've been researching uh, a certain disease that's prevalent in Africa, and there just isn't enough money to pay for the medication that would prevent a lot of deaths of these young children. So this charity is, we, we distribute this medication to these children in Africa to save lives. Sounds very noble. If the cover story sounds pretty legit, if you look up and see that the deaths in Africa really are occurring due to a lack of this medication, you say, okay, sounds good. And you feel good donating your money to it. But is the money really going there or is the person who's running the charity just keeping it? Very hard for you to tell. And you're probably not as likely to look into it as you would if that same person came to you and said, hey, I've got this great business idea. It'll triple your money in the next six months. Well, if someone tells that to you, you're probably going to say, okay, well, how will my money be tripled? Uh, Give me your business plan. What's the risk I have? Like you're going to start asking questions. You're not going to just hand them your money right there unless you're a complete moron. But with a charity, you're much more likely to give the money if the story sounds good without checking into it too much. So that's why it's a lot easier for a scammer to get a hold of your money through a charity claim than through a, hey, invest in my business that's so good claim. Reason number two that scammers love charity so much is that people don't follow it up as much because they don't have any kind of expectation of return. If you invest in someone or something for business reasons, or even if you loan someone money, you expect to get some return. If you're loaning, you expect to just basically get your money back. If you're investing in something or someone, you expect them to make you some money where you get your investment back plus extra. And if you don't get that, then you start pressuring the person, hey, where's my money? Hey, what's happening? Hey, did you scam me? Hey, what's going on? Et cetera, et cetera. But... If you donate to a charity, you're not following it up. You're not expecting you're going to get anything back. What you get for donating to a charity is the good feeling that you're helping the less fortunate. And that's it. It ends there. There's nothing to follow up. There's nothing you're expecting to get back later. So that's why scammers love it because they don't have to then deliver anything. 
if a scammer gets you to invest in something or buy something that they're not planning to deliver, then they know at some point you're going to get mad because you didn't get what they promised. And you're going to try to hassle them about it. Or you may report them to the police. But with a charity, you'll probably go on believing the whole time that you've really just helped those sick kids in Africa when you've really done no such thing. You've just given a scammer your money believing you've helped kids in Africa. And this is the problem that occurs with charities. Is that you feel good that you think you've done something that's noble and that's generous and that's helpful to the less fortunate and you had the best intentions in doing so, but in reality, you may not have helped at all. You may have helped line the pockets of those that did not deserve it. Those that are thieves or scam artists. Your money may never make it over or a large part of it may never make it over to those to whom it was intended. And sometimes it's very hard to tell. You can just say, okay, well, I'm not going to donate to scam scam charities. Well, you can say that. But, you know, think about the Jared Foundation. Let's say you were an obese child. Let's say you got made fun of all through school about being the fat kid. Let's say uh, you really wish someone had intervened when you were younger and taken steps to get you to lose weight. And you think about all the different ways your life could have been better if you had not been severely overweight as a child. And then you hear about the Jared Foundation and Jared's story and you go, wow, this guy lost a lot of money. Not money. He's going to lose money now too. But this guy lost a lot of weight when he was in his early 20s after being obese his whole life. And now he's starting a charity to help intervene and uh, fight childhood obesity so kids won't have to go through what he did. So kids can lose weight and live better childhoods than he did as an obese child until he grew up. And as someone who was once an obese child yourself, you may say, wow, this is exactly what I'd like to see. I can totally relate to what Jared is going through or went through, and uh, I went through it too. I want to help. And they go, wow, it's Jared from Subway. Obviously, he's not going to steal my money. He's making so much as their pitchman. Why would he steal the money? And you know, he's, he's got such a lucrative job. Why would he ever risk it like this? Of course I, of course I can trust Jared. So you, you send your money to Jared. Well, look where it went. It's gone. It got stolen. So you just never know. So you can't always believe that just because you send money to charity and then essentially close your eyes after that and assume it went to the right place that it really did. You have to really, really, really watch out. And you know what? The truth is there are people in need everywhere. Some are easier to access than others. And some maybe are not deserving of your money. I was talking about you know, someone on the street who's begging. They may be begging for money for their drug problem or their drinking problem. Or maybe they have plenty of money and they're just making so much begging that they keep doing that. There are people like that who, who have uh, plenty of money but make so much on the street begging that it's better than getting a real job. 
I'm not saying to give money to those people, but, you know, let's say you're at a casino and you walk by the guy who's uh, sweeping the floors or, or cleaning the toilet in the bathroom. He probably has very little money. He's got a crappy job and he has very little money. If you hand him a $10 bill and say, thank you for doing such a good job here, I appreciate it, and hand him $10, that would totally make his day. It wouldn't be life-changing money, obviously, but uh, it would totally make his day, and he could actually make use of that $10. That's the type of charity that you could give that 100% would go towards someone in need who probably... Deserves it. And when I say deserve it, I mean anybody who has a job, a crappy job like that, that's not paying them very much and is yet showing up every day to do it, they're probably at least semi-responsible. Because they are showing up for the job and doing it. They're not... uh, Paying their bills through uh, stealing or begging or uh, sponging off others or scamming, committing other crime. But they're, they're, they're doing a crappy job and not being paid very much for it and showing up every day to do it. Or even if you, you have a friend who uh, just doesn't make very much money, has had a lot of bad luck recently and... Uh, I don't mean bad luck in poker. I mean just like bad luck in life. Isn't sure they're going to be able to pay their rent this month and you give them some money and say, hey, you know, this one's on me. That's giving charity. Now, you got to be careful with that because then they can become dependent upon you and they get mad when you don't do it for them a second time and a third time. And then you feel sorry you helped them in the first place. But uh, um, I'm saying that there's many ways you can give money to people who are right in front of your face, that are in need in some way. If you want to give charity without having to worry about trusting either small charities that you have to make sure they're really spending the money as they say, or large charities where you know a lot of it's going to get lost in bureaucracy. And there's also questionable uses of the money that occurs that isn't outright stealing, but is pretty bad, like, you know, let's say it's a charity for some disease and uh, the the directors of the charity then all attend some expensive conference on the disease where they spend uh, you know, $50,000 all taking themselves to, to this conference, staying in expensive hotels and flying first class and going to expensive meals. And yeah, they're really at a conference about the disease, but is it really, is that really a wise way to spend the money? So, and sometimes it's not even intentional. Sometimes charities just aren't good at spending money. Sometimes they just spend money very stupidly, even if they're not intending to steal it. I don't know. I'm just just a believer that if you're going to help someone that is less fortunate, you should really be pretty sure they're really getting the money. Because I really hate when greedy people who take advantage of the 
good heart of others get away with it. I really, really, really hate charity scammers. I hate all scammers, but I really hate charity scammers. But your responsibility doesn't end just once you donate the money. Because if it doesn't get where it's supposed to go, then you've done nothing. You may think you've done something. But if you just donate money and wash your hands of it, then you've done nothing if the money doesn't actually get where it's supposed to go. If the point is to make yourself feel good, then I I guess it's done something. But if it's to really help, got to make sure it really gets there. So you've either got to really, really, really research the charity and make sure everything looks good and you can verify it or find some other ways to give money. In a way, I I don't want to call it charity, but uh, the community of Poker Fraud Alert, a lot of people here donate money to the free roll every week. And I know it's not the same thing, but people donate the money because they like the show, they like the community, and... This is kind of their way of giving it back, giving money back to the community so people could have fun playing the free roll. Now, I don't think very many people playing the Poker Fraud Alert free roll desperately need that $50 or $35, whatever the top prize is every week. But still, it's a form of someone giving money to something that they appreciate where at least they know 100% of that money is going to where they think it's going. And, And they're basically just doing to give back to something that they enjoy. And I appreciate that, by the way. And, uh, you know, obviously, I I don't need the money personally. That's why I'm not saying give to me. You know, the money, the system loses money every month. I don't say give to me because I can afford to run Poker Fraud Alert. So I'm happy to see the money donated to the free roll and not uh, not really to me. But... You know, I, I've encountered a lot of people, including our co-host here, uh, Trader Ski, who's, who's given uh, in various ways to this site. And I, I really appreciate that. The, uh, the gentleman who uh, passed away in July, Clownbuster. He was a big fan of this radio show, and he, he gave to it in various ways. So I, I can really appreciate when someone just at, out of the goodness of their heart wants to donate to whatever it is, uh, anywhere from a poker fraud alert free roll all the way to a, a worthy cause. I, I, just, I just hate when it doesn't actually – the money doesn't end up where it should. That's the worst. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 if you wish to call in tonight. I just noticed we, we really haven't gotten calls tonight. I just noticed. Another thing with the with the uh, Jared Fogle thing, I mean, wouldn't you assume that Subway did a certain level of due diligence when people invest uh, donated to that? And it's amazing they have their name all over it for so many years. Or he was just a key part of it and apparently never followed up. Or I'm surprised some heads haven't rolled at Subway. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point. I didn't think of that before, but that's a good point. 
it's it's kind of corporate incompetence which can occur where they just I think they got too used to Jared and they thought we don't need to worry about him. We don't need to investigate the Jared Foundation. It's not directly our charity, so we're sure it's fine. But you're right, they something as big as Subway should have said, hey, we'd like to take a look at the Jared Foundation, just make sure that it's okay because uh, – and you know, tell Jared that's one of the conditions for continuing to use him as a spokesman. I, I don't know what he would have said at that point if, if he knew it was scamming. But uh, that, that, yeah, something that big, uh, something associated with Jared like that, since he was such a, an important part of their brand, they, should, they really should have done some due diligence on this. But uh, these things happen. These uh, somehow it just slips through the cracks and sometimes the lack of oversight on the part of certain corporations can be shocking. Look, look at the Sony hack that occurred and how it turned out it was so simple to get in there and how many passwords were left as default. And you couldn't believe that at a company called Sony, like Sony of their size that would do that. Uh Here's uh, let's see. By the way, this is a, a message I got a few days ago from someone, not related to the Jared thing, but this is what I got a few days ago from someone on Skype. I'm not going to say who it is. He says, hey, currently listening in the archives of the new show, I'm a semi-expert in audio. My only tip for you and Brandon is to make sure your respective devices disable echo cancellation. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but I have had great results doing this. One point, though, if if you just use a bare Windows 7 or 8 install and get the basic Windows driver for your devices, you may not have control panel features where you can adjust even more options. Yeah, I know about that. Uh, it is true that if you have a sound card, you have to make sure you get the full software from the manufacturer. Otherwise, uh, you don't have as many options. So, so the main gripe I've had over the years with teleconferencing and shit was this feature on people's laptops. Turning it off works wonders. I, where is echo cancellation? I've never even seen that. <laughs> I actually thought the audio in this show was fine until the recent problems. And I think this week it's fine. And I'm very... Big on the audio sounding good. But so far, so good with Benjamin's mom's laptop. Benford saying in chat, one excellent way to give is to give blood to the Red Cross. Totally free, too. Yeah. That's true. If you give blood to the Red Cross, that can always be used. I have a friend who who does this all the time. He uh, he posts on Facebook, and not to be like, this guy isn't the type who just does it so everyone pats him on the back. He really is uh, just the type who is going to update and go, hey, I'm over here at the Red Cross giving blood. I think he's more doing it to kind of encourage other people to do it without being condescending to those that don't. But I thought, what a nice guy to like make sure he does this every year just because he thinks it's the right thing to do. And uh, this guy actually has an interesting story in that, uh, yeah, I met him when he was 17, and I was uh, 16 at the time. But 
he's never tried drugs once in his life because his older brother died of a drug overdose at age 17. And my friend was 10 at the time, so I didn't know him then. But uh, from seeing his brother, he he wasn't there while the overdose happened, but from seeing his brother die of an overdose, he, uh, he never wanted to try any kind of illicit drugs. And he's lived a very, you know, like, average American responsible lifestyle and and gives blood every year and just a, really the opposite of what his older brother was. This is really one of those cases which I call the anti-example where sometimes a kid growing up and seeing a close relative behaving badly, whether it's a parent or a sibling, actually encourages them to be the opposite rather than be a bad influence. It doesn't always happen that way. But sometimes... They see it and say, wow, I don't want this to be me. And then he told me, you know, he said, seeing this as a 10-year-old, that he said, this is never going to be me. So let's go to the politics thing. The politics segment of our show. Hillary Clinton, is she melting down over the email situation? Hillary Clinton, until this email thing ramped up again recently, it's never really gone away, but it's it's had its ebbs and flows as far as being in the public eye. Hillary Clinton was assumed by many people, myself included, to just basically have a a buy almost into becoming the Democratic nominee. There, There was not any kind of serious challenger. The biggest challenger she had was Bernie Sanders. And Bernie Sanders is never going to go anywhere. He doesn't have the charisma. He's an admitted socialist. There is a certain percentage of the Democratic Party, the far left, that loves him. But beyond that, he's not going to get more votes. Like The the support Bernie Sanders has now is the most support he will have, and that's only like 20% of the Democratic Party. So he's he's not going to go anywhere. He just he does not have mainstream appeal. He cannot have mainstream appeal. He's a socialist. And he also as I said has no charisma. He always he always looks like he just woke up and got out of bed without brushing his hair. It's uh that's kind of what Bernie Sanders looks like. He looks like a, like an old man, like a deranged old man who just got up and didn't brush his hair. And then and he's a socialist. Uh, so that that guy is not going to be president. Whether you like him or dislike him. So Hillary just looked like she had a clear path right into the presidency. Not like eight years ago when Obama was there lurking in the shadows the whole time. There was no version of Obama this year to come and beat Hillary. And there still isn't. The problem is that she is now melting down. Her campaign is melting down because people never trusted her. And now they really, really don't trust her because of this email thing. And she does not have the charisma to worm her way out of this like Bill did with his various scandals. Bill Clinton was very, very charismatic and very good at getting out of whatever scandal he got into without that much harm. He was really, really good at that. But she does not have that same talent. 
So she cannot shake this email thing. And the latest with Hillary Clinton was the accusations that uh, she had the server, her private server, professionally wiped to where uh, it could not be found what was once on it, like she had something to hide. Here's a sound clip of Hillary Clinton. This is Hillary Clinton actually in Las Vegas, of all things, answering questions of whether she wiped the server clean. Well, my personal emails are my personal business, right? right? So I, so we went through a painstaking process and turned over 55,000 pages of anything we thought could be work-related. Under the law, that decision is made by the official. I was the official. I made those decisions. And as I just said, over 1,200 of the emails have already been deemed not work-related. All I can tell you is, in retrospect, if I'd used a government account and I had said, you know, let's release everything, let's let everybody in America see what I did for four years, we would have the same arguments. So that's all I can say. I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't, I have no idea. That's why we turned it over. You were in charge of it. You were the official in charge. Did you wipe the server? What, like with a cloth or something? (laughs) With a cloth or something? I mean, that's she's trying to joke here, but this is not a laughing matter. Listen to this again. Like with a cloth or something? I don't know. Well, no. you know how it works digitally. Did you try to wipe I, the whole I don't know how it works digitally at all. See, I, this guy keeps asking, did you wipe the server? Did you wipe the server? Well, I don't know how it works. Well, what, did you get it wiped? Did you have someone else wipe it? Well, I don't know. Did I wipe it with a cloth? What are you trying to ask me here? This is, this is someone trying to be our president next year. You do not have any... Ed, I know you want to make a point, and I can just repeat what I have said. In order, to, in order to be as cooperative as possible, we have turned over the server. They can do whatever they want to with the server to figure out what's there or what's not there. That's for the you know, people investigating it to try to figure out. But we turned over everything that was work-related, every single thing. Personal stuff, we did not. I had no obligation to do so and did not. Thank you, Thank you. So, this is very, very evasive, and she did not come off well at all. And to, to make a joke like, uh, uh, what, with a cloth? That's. People are not liking this. Uh, it's very clear that she had something to hide. It's very clear that that's the reason she was using this private server in the first place. It, uh, she, it's very clear that she was very much violating the law as far as the handling of classified information. There's, I, I worked at a company. I didn't have a security clearance because I wasn't there long enough, and I, I left to go to uh, a company that didn't have security clearances, so I, I never ended up getting one. But I was at a company that dealt with a lot of security clearances, and boy, were they strict about everything. These were these were just like regular civilian employees that that weren't uh, anywhere near the level of secretary of state like uh, hillary clinton is 
you had to go through so many tight procedures related to handling classified information and classified documents. If you took this type of stuff home to your own server, you could have gotten in huge trouble. And this was the Secretary of State doing it and then engaging in a cover-up after being caught doing it. This is a big deal. This is not like a right-wing conspiracy to, to make a, lot, a big deal over nothing. And, and the public is seeing this, and the public already didn't trust Hillary before this. So her campaign is really hurting. She's really starting to melt down. And some people are believing that Hillary is just arrogant and just believes nothing's going to take her down this time and doesn't have to worry about it. But I think she does, and I, I think she's melting down. The problem is, though, on the Democratic side, who is going to replace her? And there really isn't anyone right now who's a viable candidate who could. And so right now, there's rumors that Joe Biden, who also has plenty of problems of his own, not scandals like this so much, but more that he's not really presidential campaign ready. You put him out there on a year-long presidential campaign, more than a year-long And he's going to say and do a lot of stupid things. He's always been known for that. But he is already exploring entering the primary against Hillary to try to be a serious contender. And supposedly he's talking with Elizabeth Warren, who has a lot of popularity among liberal Democrats, to run as his VP. Now, I actually think that Biden and Warren together might be able to take down Hillary with the way she's in a tailspin right now. But a lot of people on the Democratic side are not thrilled with that because they know Biden is very flawed and uh, it may not sit very well with the American public once the rigor of a year-plus-long campaign is placed in front of him and he has to take care not to say and do stupid things. Uh, To show you... President Obama, before he was President Obama, he was very worried about Biden screwing him. He was very worried about things that Biden would say and did say that could reflect negatively upon them. And when the great financial crash of 2008 occurred in the late summer of 2008 and uh, Republicans uh, took a lot of the blame for it in the public's eye, the public's opinion, Uh, It was pretty much assured that Obama was going to win at that point and that McCain had no chance. So Obama knew he was sitting pretty. So I think starting from September 8th in 2008, he shut Biden down. He would not let Biden speak to anyone, anyone in the media. Biden was shut down until Election Day. He was that worried that Biden would screw up the big lead. It's kind of like a baseball team saying that they don't want to put in their worst relief pitcher, no matter how big the lead was. They don't want it to get blown. So uh, that's how worried Obama was about Biden eight years ago, that with a huge lead in the polls, he was afraid to let Biden screw it up. He felt that was the only thing that could ruin it at that point. And he was right. Yeah, he was right to shut down Biden. I would have done the same thing. So this same guy may run for president against Hillary in the primary, but there's no shutting him down if he's the candidate. I, I don't know what the Democrats are going to do. They can either end up going with Hillary and have this issue and other issues dogging her throughout the general election, or a contender has to show up to replace her who's viable at this 
late stage in the game. When I say late stage, I mean for someone new to just kind of start up now, a presidential campaign is kind of tough. It can happen, but it's kind of tough. Now, the Republicans, they're not in good shape either because they've got Donald Trump. They've got Donald Trump wrecking everything, saying obnoxious and controversial things, making a mockery of pretty much everything making the party look ignorant. And yet he still has a lot of support because people support him because they believe he's like a straight talker. They believe he's a anti-politician. They think all the other, all the other guys in the primary are just career politicians who just uh, say what everyone wants to hear, that Donald Trump's the only one who is outside of all that, that he says what he means and does what he'll say and we need a straight talker and a straight shooter like that in the White House. The problem is he's really not. He just comes off that way. He's a pseudo-straight shooter. Uh, Donald Trump is really more of an attention whore than a straight shooter. So the problem is the Republicans either have to support Trump and then have him ride to victory in the primary, and then have him be the candidate who would be beyond flawed, and I think the public's going to tire of him fairly soon, or he'll lose and then run as an independent, perhaps, and steal a lot of votes that would have otherwise gone to the Republicans, thus sinking the Republicans' chance to win, much like Ross Perot did in 1992, allowing Bill Clinton to win. So the Republicans have a big problem. Either they go with Donald Trump and he ends up being a crappy candidate in the general election, which he would be, or they go against Donald Trump and then he runs as a third party and steals a bunch of their votes. Either way sucks. So both parties, for the first time I've ever seen, at least in my lifetime, both parties are having major issues only a little bit more than a year before the general election for president of the United States. This is going to be a very, very interesting election. I think the only more interesting election I've seen, or the only one that compares to it, is the uh, 2000 election with uh, Bush and Gore. But that only got interesting at the very end because of how close it was. Other than that, I, I can't even think of one that at least at this stage is looking like it's going to be unusual in that both sides have big problems coming in. Now, maybe Trump will just kind of quietly go away. Maybe he's just all bluster about being a third-party candidate. Maybe he'll just lose the primary and then just slink away, and that'll be that. Maybe Hillary will shake off this email thing, and it'll be in the past by the time 2016 rolls around. I don't know. But right now, it looks like big problems on both sides. Trader Ruski, your thoughts? You know, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think it's all over the place. But I have to say, Trump, I mean, Trump, first of all, did you watch any of his uh, press conference today? No. Yeah, it was, it's pretty hilarious. He's going to build the best wall and just how he goes back and forth with uh, all the reporters and goes at them. 
you know, I think he's certainly bringing out that people are sick of all these politicians that are bought off and don't know what they're doing. And, you know, he's got a lot of momentum. It'll be interesting to see what happens for sure. Yeah. See, that's the problem is, yeah, Trump is actually tapping into people's frustration over something legitimate. And that is that uh, modern politicians of both parties uh, they are controlled to some degree by their corporate and special interest donors that uh, they don't often say what they really mean or are, and often are not honest about what they're really going to do. Uh, people are sick of the career politician type. They They feel that a lot of this country's problems are because of career politicians. And uh, a lot of people are frustrated with the campaign finance situation where so much money is donated to candidates on both sides who then owe something back pretty much to those who gave them this much money. So Trump is saying, hey, I'm my own man. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm either not going to take money or if money's given to me, uh, you've got to understand when you're giving to me, it comes with no favors. So people go, wow, that's that's cool. That's that's what we've been waiting for. And someone other than Trump who would be doing things this way, I would agree. But uh, the, the problem is that uh, I, I feel that Trump just has, there, there's so many flaws with him. He He's not, first of all, he's not presidential at all, in my opinion. I think he's the the, the the president is not a showman. He shouldn't be. The, pre- the president shouldn't be someone who, who says things to be funny or entertaining or, or shock people. And Donald Trump is good at that, but that's not uh, – and that, that can make good TV, but it's not uh, – the president has to be someone dignified who gets respect from leaders of other countries. And it's hard for me to picture Donald Trump in that role. And, and also a lot of what Donald Trump says he just makes up or uh, – uh, there's a lot of things in his own history, his own business history, that, that's on the shady side. This is just someone who carries so much baggage with him and also hasn't really presented a plan to improve anything. He's been good at criticizing everything but not really of presenting solutions. So I, I think he would really get beat down in a general election once all these things have to come out. Uh, right now, there's the early stages where he just comes out and says some funny things and bashes people. And uh, and P- since he's a refreshing change in some ways from the typical politician, he gets a lot of support. I'm just I, I'm just I'm telling you, I'm just afraid that uh, uh, he'll win the primary and then uh, he's not going to win the general election. And even if he does win it. Like, I, I really don't know who I'd vote for. I don't support Donald Trump, and I don't support anybody on the Democratic side. So I, I don't even know what I'd do. I, I, don't, I don't know who I'd vote for or what I would do if, like, it was Hillary against Trump. I don't know what I'd do. I, I wouldn't support either of them. Yeah, I mean, that's what's going to make it interesting. So I think it's just, you know, if it's not Hillary and if she keeps getting dragged down and then maybe they throw Biden in, and it's, you know. Yeah, it's a it's a problem. This is a uh, and it's. It's certainly going to be amusing, though, because his, his uh, you know, when he was during the debate, when he was talking about how he basically would bribe everybody on stage and they accepted his bribes. <laughs> you know, 
Yeah, this is, uh, and I, this must really look like a circus to the the rest of the world right now. The best, the rest of the world must be like looking at this, going, "I can't believe this. These crazy Americans. What the hell? They, they've got Donald Trump, the uh, the the entertainer from TV, uh, who went from firing people on TV to running for president and saying just one outrageous thing after another and his polls just the poll numbers just go up from doing so. And then you have Hillary on the other hand who uh violated this major law about the emails when she was a secretary of state of all things and then uh and now is trying to cover it up. Like they're like this is the choice. <laughs> this is this is who we might have to vote for one of these two. Like people people in other countries must be scratching their heads out of 300 million people why the U.S. can't come up with better. So, Yeah, and, so I th- and I think that the three guys that stopped the terrorist attack, you know, on that train from Amsterdam to Paris, that couldn't have happened at a better time. So yeah, that's true. That, Americans that's true. Uh, that, that, does, that does help America's image, the three guys who stopped the terrorist attack. That, that was great. That was great. That the, these were young guys, too. These were, uh, they, they were in their early 20s. Early to mid twenties, and uh, one of them sees the guy, this Moroccan terrorist, walk out of the bathroom with his shirt off and uh, and a probably an AK forty seven over his shoulder, and doesn't uh, take a genius at that moment to realize something's wrong. But it's one thing to see that and say, "Oh crap, this is a terrorist." It's another to say, "Okay, I'm going to charge this guy. I'm going to charge this guy and, and put myself as the first one in harm's way." Instead of just like. Okay, I'm going to get out of his way as much as I can. Like I'm going to attack him and put myself at most risk of anyone on this train to get killed. But that's what the first guy did, and then the other two joined in and uh, and they stopped him. And the one of the guys, not the first one actually, but one of the guys actually got uh, cut up because this terrorist also has a like a box cutter type weapon with him, and uh, and cut up one of the guys fighting with him. He didn't have major major injuries, but it was clo- apparently it was pretty close to a major injury. Well, yeah, it was almost severed his thumb. Yeah. And then, you know, and then you heard the defense from his attorney that just shows that there are these scumbag attorneys in, all, in every country, that he was just a homeless guy. He found a bag of guns in the park and he was trying to uh, hold up the train. Yeah, sure. <laughs> just found a bag of guns. And he, and he had a shirt. It is, his shirt happened to be off, too. So, yeah, that's. And he also was a Moroccan who was on a terror watch list, too. Just just all coincidence. Yeah, that was. And that could have been really, really bad. And it was nice that uh, it was three Americans who did it. And and it, it shows you, you know, the the American military they they trained their guys really well. These guys were ready for what they saw. They they weren't. It's not like they were on a combat mission. They were on vacation, and they they saw a threat, and uh, they immediately sprung into action. I think the guy who charged the terrorist was only twenty two. Yeah. And it's crazy. I've been on that train a few times, just you know, back and forth from Paris to Amsterdam, and crazy. Oh wow, you've you've been on that. Wow. Yeah, I've been on that train for sure. I'm sure a lot of anybody has been to Europe, and yeah, between Paris, um, Paris and Amsterdam, that's that's the train. You know, uh, yeah, it's it's always more scary when you've actually been on that route where something occurs or almost occurs. Uh, my parents were actually on a flight from Boston to Los Angeles on September eighth, two thousand eleven. But uh, not not on United or American, but still, that was the exact route that the terrorists used on nine eleven. 
to hit the towers. So uh, three days, my parents flew before that. Yeah, it's crazy. You know the story of the founder of Akamai that was on the flight. Did you know about that? The guy that founded Akamai. No. But yeah, the software company, and he was he was basically in the first row of Flight ninety three. Oh. And he was uh, yeah, and and Seth MacFarlane missed the flight. Yeah, I knew about Seth MacFarlane that he. Uh, the only reason he missed it was because his assistant told him the wrong time. For for when the flight was. And I, I guess he was uh, he was already kind of tired from the night before from drinking or something. So he uh, uh, he got to the airport what would have been the last minute for the flight of the time he thought it was, like an hour later or half an hour later. And uh, when he got there, they said it's too late to board. So it hadn't even left the ground yet. Like he got there, it was, the plane was still on the ground, but they said, we're sorry, you can't board the flight. You uh, You're too late. And then he, it turned out his assistant gave him the wrong time. So if his assistant gave him the wrong time, then Seth MacFarlane would have been one of the people killed on uh, one of the – it was one of the flights that hit the towers that he was supposed to be on. It's amazing. Yeah. So let's see here. What else do we have? Uh, Bitcoin. Bitcoin has uh, been volatile again this week after a period of, of relative stability in the kind of mid-200s range, kind of 250, 260 for a while. Been there for a long time. Briefly got around 300 and fell back down, but it had been there for a long time. And then there were two crashes that uh, sent Bitcoin tumbling and and one recovery. Uh, so Bitcoin, for the most part, for quite some time here, has been in the, the 200-something range. As I said, it, it had one spike, I think it was earlier this year, that sent it to around 300, but then it quickly fell back down. And and it sat in the mid-200s again. Uh, but uh, Bitcoin had a crash uh, first down from uh, the high 200s down to the 220s, 230s range. Then it sat there for a little bit, and then there was a second crash that sent it all the way down to 199. Now, 200 has really been kind of a psychological barrier with Bitcoin. One time it fell as low as 157, but uh, then it quickly rebounded above 200. It seems like every time it drops under 200 or touches 200, it, it hops back up a little bit before it stabilizes. But it got down to 199, immediately came back up to about uh, 207. This is about two days ago. And now it's currently at 223. Now, a few things about this. First of all, uh, in the past week, uh, or I guess two weeks. We've already had two crashes. So that's that's already not good. Even though one has been recovered from the one from the two twenties, or, or like it's almost been recovered from. It's, it's a crash from like the two low two thirties to one ninety nine now to two twenty three. So it, it's kind of mostly recovered from that. But the first crash from the high two hundreds has not been recovered from. But two twenty is an interesting number 
Because that's where Bitcoin was before it really, really, really took off in late 2013. Where it went from 220 all the way up to 1200, which was its all-time high. Uh, It was later discovered that Mt. Gox was manipulating some of this. And also the media hysteria over Bitcoin was also helping. So that's what helped push it all the way up to 1200 But really, the entire second boom of Bitcoin, which went from 220 to 1200 has been negated for a long time. And we're back where it was before that. Now, the first run-up, which went from about 17 all the way up to uh, 220, that we're still there. But, but it's been a long time since that happened. That, that was in earlier 2013. So the question is, where is Bitcoin going to go? And, uh, and the problem here, it's a problem that still persists with Bitcoin. And if, even if you're a big proponent of Bitcoin, you've got to acknowledge this. Since May of 2014, which is now 16 months, there has never been a sustained period where Bitcoin has stabilized higher than where it was previously stabilized. That's not to say it hasn't ever gone up. I'm saying when it stabilizes, when it jumps around, jumps around, then stops somewhere for a while, that's what I'm referring to as stabilizes. It has never stabilized since May 2014 in a place higher than it was previously. Never. Every time the stabilization is lower than the previous stabilization. Every time since May 2014, look it up. You won't find once that after all the jumping up and down, when it stops jumping, that it's higher than where it was before. Never. And that is something to be very concerned with if you are a Bitcoin proponent. Because if, if, if this was taking off, if this was capturing the interest and imagination of the general public at this point, there would be periods where it would be rising. And it's not. Rising for a few days or a week or two does not matter. So it really matters where it stabilizes. It has never once stabilized since May 2014, higher than where it was before. That means we're on a steady streak down, 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 to much lower than where we are now with Bitcoin. I also think that uh, because the hysteria of Bitcoin that has already occurred in late 2013, early 2014, enough people are aware of it now, enough people are understanding of it now, I mean, maybe not fully understanding, but it's, it's not like it's going to really be introduced to anyone new that hadn't heard of it before or hadn't considered it before. And I think that uh, with all the strengths and weaknesses, the, the public has basically decided we're not interested. It's not going to get a lot of new adopters. And the issues with it have prevented it from going 
a lot bigger than it currently is, are still there. It does not have a lot of ease of use. It's especially difficult to do transactions with it to you know convert it into cash or back into Bitcoin without paying a fee because uh, you use something like Coinbase or whatever to convert Bitcoin into cash or vice versa, you're paying a fee. Businesses have shown that they don't want to hold Bitcoin because of its volatility. So they want to immediately convert it into cash. And that's not really good for Bitcoin in the long term. For Bitcoin to be working better, merchants should want to hold it. They shouldn't be uh, just quickly taking it and then uh, reselling it. And uh, there's a lot of people that still are afraid of it. They're afraid of uh, Bitcoins being hacked. They are afraid of the fact that uh, there's no purchase protection with it. So who uses them? The people who use Bitcoin are either enthusiasts who loved it from the beginning, but that's only a small group of people, or people who want to do illicit things with it. Buy and sell things anonymously or mostly anonymously. So that that's mainly how it's being used. I just don't see it catching on with the general public, and this this has been the case now. I'm not just theorizing anymore. This has been the case since everyone got excited about Bitcoin almost two years ago. It's not going anywhere except down. So, and now the recent controversy that's sending it down is the forking controversy. That basically there's two camps within Bitcoin, the Bitcoin community. Uh, one one camp wants to change the blockchain and make it bigger. That that uh, basically is the foundation of Bitcoin, and uh, the other half doesn't. So these two camps are battling it out, and and this was making people nervous, and and the market of Bitcoin reacted. And uh, Mark Andreessen, who's uh, very well known in the computing world, he recently criticized Bitcoin in saying that it reacts too much to any kind of news. That it's it's not going to be viable as long as it's doing this. He was the the founder of Netscape, by the way. For those of you that don't know him, he has a six hundred million dollar net worth. Pretty good. Kind of jealous of him. He's less than a year older than me. He actually he made a, an early browser called Mosaic. I used it too. In in the mid-90s, early to mid-90s, he made a uh, browser called Mosaic, very early browser before anything else you would have used. But anyway, he said that Bitcoin 
it reacts too much. He didn't like the fact that uh, when there's news about this Bitcoin forking controversy, that Bitcoin crashes. He he doesn't think that that's uh, that speaks well for Bitcoin's future. He doesn't think it's very stable. If every little thing that's bad news about Bitcoin sends it in the toilet, he's right. So, uh, you, know, you may like the concept of Bitcoin. You may think it's cool. You may like decentralized currencies that are not owned by any country. You may like being able to spend money online without having to deal with the banks, dealing with chargebacks. But uh, Bitcoin is just not the answer. It's just not really made for what people want it to be. And you also are probably underestimating the simplicity the general public needs to want to adopt something like this. And it just will never have it. Matt the Rat is saying in chat it's down to 218. I'm not seeing that. Coinbase, which I usually use for the value I accept as the current value, 222. Let's see. Look at some other exchanges. Yeah, on, on BTCE, it's 218. ANX, it's uh, 223. I mean, it's, it's all around there. Bitstamp, 222. Doesn't matter. It's all around the same thing. But I, it just doesn't have a future. I, I read these articles of people predicting it's going to come back. It's going to be over 1,000 again. It's going to become huge again. That ship has sailed. No, no one is, is excited about it anymore. This isn't even like HDTV, which came out. Nobody used it at first. Nobody bought them at first, and then, and then it became big, and now that's pretty much what everybody has. That, that's different. That's, that's the type of thing like we're as a new piece of technology that uh, the the other pieces to it weren't ready yet. Basically, the programming wasn't there, so people didn't want to spend the money on them, and they were too expensive. So when the prices came down, when, the, when there was more HD programming, then people bought into it. But uh, this isn't like HDTV. This is, th- this is a concept, and, and the concept has already been introduced to the public, and the public mostly rejected it. So that's that. Well, been... but I think it's still very early stage, Drop. And I mean, for every Andreessen out there, there's certainly a lot of uh, big name VCs that have money in it. There's more and more merchants. You know, they have a few of these big merchant sites where it can just plug in easily like an authorized.net or a PayPal. And I think, you know, so, I, you know, I just I just don't know if you can make an opinion from like the early people that came in. I, you know, Halsey Miner, I know, has a big uh, investment who found it, the guy that founded CNET. He's very involved in it. A lot of the VCs down here in L.A. Well, I, I'm, you know, there's people who are investing in it. I just I think it, it has been stagnating too long. We're worse than stagnating. It's, it's been around now too long. The public's been too aware of it for too long. And there's been 
too little progress. In fact, it's been anti-progress. I've just, I, I think as, as every day passes and there is not more widespread adoption of Bitcoin, uh, the fad's going to go away. The, these things have to have – it's losing momentum from what I can see. So uh, m- maybe it will surprise me and it will uh, become huge and this is just a, a malaise that's going through. But I, I think just going 16 months without even uh, – it's stabilizing once higher than where it was before is, is already a terrible sign. So I, I guess we'll see. <laughs> but uh, like if somebody asked me, what do you think is more likely? That at the end of 2016, Bitcoin will be under $40 or over a thousand. I'd say by far under 40. If someone asked, uh, I'm not predicting it'll be under 40 by then. I'm saying that if I had to choose between the two, I'd say 40, under 40 is much more likely than over a thousand. And uh, what's more likely that Bitcoin loses a lot of value between now and the end of 2016 or that by the end of 2016, there's a major change in how much it's accepted and used throughout the web. I, I would again say that the losing more most value and not going anywhere is much more likely. That, that's my opinion on the matter. So, uh, you you think it's different? You you have a different opinion? Well, I, I just think I just see so many, like I said, these merchant companies coming out. There's just you know it just is so at the infancy. And once the infrastructure is there, similar to, you know, the Internet before there was bandwidth and DSL and all that with HD before the programming, you know, it's kind of really at that early stage. And, you know, I just, I just think there's certainly I don't think, you know, I just think it's too early to tell where it'll go. But if you research it a little bit, and I did. Um, I don't know. I think I sent you info about like that Internet History podcast where they do have some great stories about the early Mosaic team and how all that came together. But they do interview some VCs about Bitcoin and there seem to be – I haven't listened to them for a while, but just a lot of smart money going into a lot of the infrastructure for it. Okay. I'm just – you know, I, I'm just saying with Bitcoin, I, I've never had the feeling like it's going to really take off. And for, forget the value that jumped up because everyone was excited for, briefly about it. I mean, I mean, like really take off, like become something huge uh, that, that really impacts the general public. And, and where some other things that have come out, including Mosaic, when when Mosaic, you know, when when the web was first introduced, and I was on there very early. I thought, wow, what a good idea! Because I had been on the internet before the web, and and I I was on the all text internet, which is all that existed before the web. And then when I first used Mosaic, I said, what a great idea! This is not only is this uh, interesting, but I, I I could really see the general public really enjoying this. I, I could see I, I didn't think of all the potential of what it eventually became. But uh, but I thought about, wow, this is something that I could really see taking out. This seems like a great idea. Same with like the first time I saw an iPhone ad, I go, wow, this is going to be huge. Like I knew it. I knew this is going to be huge. First time I saw uh, Google Maps, I said, wow, this is a, you know, to be able to use uh, – and the satellite images you could look at. Like I thought, wow, this is a, this is a huge thing. Everyone's going to love this. There were certain things that as second I saw them, I knew they'd be huge. The so same with the, the – DVR and TiVo when I saw those when those came out. So, again, a, a huge game changer. Bitcoin, I never felt that way about. I, I always felt it was kind of like, I, I called it back then a, a cute little science project. 
rather than something that I thought was going to be a game changer. And you know, X Factor saying in chat, Micon has his entire fortune in Bitcoin, and we obviously don't know that if it's true or not. But I, I have to assume, as, as most of us do, that he probably has a lot of his worth in Bitcoin, and you know, he or anyone else who holds just large sums of Bitcoin and doesn't take that much out in case it all crashes, I think is really gambling big time. Because I, I, at any point, Bitcoin could completely collapse. It, it, it could collapse and pop back up, but it could also just completely collapse and never come back. And, you know, how, how do you go from having most of your fortune at even Bitcoin that's worth $220 to Bitcoin being worth $10? I mean, that's, that's an amazing reduction uh, for example, if, if you had it at uh, $200 and it reduced down to 10 if you had a million dollars in Bitcoin, that would be reduced down to 50 k and that's a huge difference. So uh, that's, that's, a, that's a big risk to be taking at this point. I don't know if Micon's taking it. I don't know. I, I know there are some people taking that risk, but uh, I don't know if Micon's one of them, but he might be. So I know I wouldn't do that. I'd be very afraid I just wake up one day and my money's mostly gone. Even if it hasn't physically been stolen from me. So uh, let's talk about drones and we'll shut the show down. Looks like Brandon was a no show. I was hoping he'd show up at nine. Yeah, I just I, I just had this picture like, okay, he's not coming right now, but I I, I bet we'll hear him by nine o'clock. I bet he'll be here, and he just wasn't. He just—I uh, guess he said, you know, we've got uh, we've got Traderuski here. He's holding down the fort. Everything's going to be fine. I bet, I bet that was Brandon's attitude. Absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about the uh, the drones. Uh, do you have a drone, or you, do you, have you thought about getting one? I do not, and have not. Oh, okay. I think I told you I am going to that inter inter drone show in Vegas. Um, on the 8th, 9th, and 10th of September. And if you want a free full conference pass to it, I do have a pass for you or anybody in the community that wants it. That's the worst dates for me. That's the worst dates. (laughs) These things always come up on the worst dates. It's it's amazing. Well, anyway, thanks for offering that, though. I can't... uh... Yeah, and if somebody does want it, just have them ping you. It's, you know, they're like 600 bucks, but I got a free one. Wow. I, I probably would go otherwise. That's too bad. It, it, this always happens. This, this always happens to me. Whenever there's something I, I could want to go to, it, it always conflicts with, with something I'm already doing. All right, so anyway, ever since drones came out, I, I thought that they were cool. I, I liked the concept of them. And I was just talking about things I knew were going to be huge. I, I, I didn't have that feeling about drones. I don't quite know exactly where they're going to go. I think it's very possible they'll be huge one day soon. But I personally found them interesting. And I'm not someone who was ever really big into, like, remote control planes or stuff like that. But I liked the idea of having something that uh, that you can just fly up in the air and, and, and look look at everything as if you've got your own little airplane, except you're not actually in it. It's it's almost like, I mean, I've, as a kid, I would have dreams that I could fly, 
Did you have those dreams ever? The, the flying dreams? Could you ever fly in your dreams? I don't recall. I don't recall the flying dream. Really, you never had them. Okay, I, I could fly. I don't anymore. I, I never have it anymore. But when I was a kid, I had a number of dreams that I could fly. I just had to flap my arms like a bird, and I'd take off. And uh, now, I, it was funny when I would fly. I couldn't stay in the air for too long. I'd, I'd eventually lose altitude, and eventually just can't fly anymore. It would go from like flying as high as I want to flying okay to starting to lose altitude, and then just kind of end up on the ground again. And, and sometimes when I'd fly, it would be because something was chasing me that I was afraid of, and I'd be trying to fly to get away from it. So those weren't good dreams. But, but some of the dreams were actually nice where I actually would just fly and then look at the landscapes below me. And sometimes it would be – most of the time it would be my own neighborhood you know, or the house I grew up in or whatever. But I always enjoyed that. I always enjoyed being up there and looking down at everything. And, and, and then I'd wake up and I'd think, ah, it's too bad I can't really do that in real life. And, uh, and and in a way, I'd look up at the birds, and I'd kind of envy the birds that they could do that. I, I wouldn't envy the birds that they uh, are dumb and that they don't live very long, but uh, they're pretty simple creatures. But uh, but the one thing that they can do that I can't is they, they can fly. They can go up in the air and look at everything. And so, so drones really give you that ability uh, without having to really – risk anything personally or, or having to go through a large learning curve to become a pilot or anything like that. You just, uh, uh, you can send this machine up in the air to take HD pictures, HD video of whatever's below it. So that, that always seemed cool to me. Uh, I, I was, the reasons I didn't get one, it was, uh, I was kind of afraid of uh, one that I wouldn't control, be able to control it very well. That it's like nicer, easier in concept than it is in, in practice, and and second that uh, I do something wrong and crash it, and then be really frustrated that I've just basically thrown away that amount of money that I paid for it. Uh, also, I, I always had like the kind of fear that I would buy an early version of something that is quickly surpassed by a newer version, which is far superior much as the same reason I didn't get the first iPhone that came out, even though I really like that concept. So I, I didn't get a drone yet for those reasons, but but now it's starting to come around the time that I want to because I think it's it's gotten a little more mature. The The main company that makes them, DJI, uh, they're on the Phantom 3, so they're on the, they're on the third generation of drones they're selling. Uh, there was one available for $850 I could have bought the other day. Chose not to, but almost did. Uh, I, I'm also someone I, I enjoy hiking and, and seeing new places out in nature and still as, as a human being with only a limited range and obviously there's only things I can get to that uh, you know I can get to on a trail I, I'm limited but with a drone you can you can basically you can take it 400 feet in the air and, and see a lot more it's just it's just something I, I really like the idea of and I even have a fear that if I don't get in on getting it, that at some point there will be laws passed against it, which I think there might be soon, some kind of laws controlling drones, because I think there's going to be some problems pretty soon. We're already seeing some. And, and I'll, I'll feel stupid for not have gotten one before they're outlawed in some way. Uh, here's some problems with drones that have been occurring. There's been ones that have been flying near pl- commercial airplanes, and there was apparently almost a airliner and drone collision which actually could be deadly and take down a whole airliner 
Yeah, there were a bunch like a Kennedy or something, weren't there, in the last uh, few weeks? Yeah, there is one that uh, – then there's ones where people send drones up when there's fires. Yeah, these guys, they, yeah. That's and, and, then, and then helicopters go to try to uh, dump water on the fires or, or some kind of flame retardant, and they can't because they're – the, the drones are getting in the way and they're afraid for their safety. So they have to wait till the drones go away before they can dump the stuff. And in the meantime, the, the fire ranges rages on. This just happened in the uh, San Bernardino County fire that was right off I-15. So we're, we're already seeing that. And then I, I, I think it probably won't be too long until there's some kind of tragedy with a drone crashing down and hitting someone, maybe even a child, and, and injuring them seriously or killing them. To where there will be some concern about it, especially if these become more prevalent. So you don't – when you just go out in everyday life, you don't see a whole lot of dry, drones flying around in the air. But but once these become more and more popular and, and the price comes down on them, which will happen, uh, and there's more and more of them, then you're going to start to have drones coming down and hitting cars, uh, causing accidents, hitting people, uh, busting through people's windows – uh, things where there's going to be an outrage where like, we got to control these things. Yep. Have you been by uh, Woodley Park lately? No. Because you remember there, I don't know if you were close to there growing up, but, you know, that's where all the airplanes, they had all the, you know, kind of toy airplanes that people would fly. I would imagine that's like Drones Central right now. You know where I'm talking about, though, right? Yeah. 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 So... Yeah, I don't know about that, but uh, hmm. I, and have you ever tried to control one or like no? I've never. Somebody's I've or... never used one. I don't know. Unfortunately, I don't know anybody. If, if I was still friends with Mike, I'm sure I would have used one by now. But uh, I don't know anybody else well enough to where I, I've like been over with them and tried their. I would love to if someone had one that I could actually just try out. They'd be a little afraid of like crashing theirs and feeling like I have to pay for it at that point, but. Uh, at least if it's my own, like I don't have just like you, using someone else's drone and crashing. It's like the worst of both worlds because if it doesn't crash, it's still their drone, and if it yeah. does crash, you're you're having to pay for it. So you're like taking all yeah. the risk and getting out of the benefit. I would still try it though. I just be very very careful. But but I mean, some of those look amazing, like with the four uh, four propellers, or I'm not sure what they're called. I mean, they just look solid, like you could be on some device, even like your iPhone, and control them very easily, and yeah, but that's it's not was... like trying to fly a plane or something else. Right. Well, the one I was about to buy, was it's called, it is a quadcopter with the four propellers. It's the Phantom, the DJI Phantom 3, and you know, it's, it's said to be fairly easy to fly. Uh, your iPhone does get involved with it. There's a controller, but the iPhone is used – it interfaces with the controller in some way to where it gets a video. You see what the drone is seeing. So that that's how you're seeing what it's doing and what it's seeing other than just looking at it from a distance. Because, you know, Once it goes 400 feet in the air, it's, it's hard to really see it. It kind of looks like a, a small speck up there. But you, then you see from your – on your phone – uh, where, where these phantoms are not perfect is that uh, they're supposed to have features like they, they they know where they were launched from and they're supposed to just come back if uh, if they lose contact with you, but they don't always. That's how they get lost. Like they sometimes they can just freak out and just uh, take off, and, and uh, people lose their lose their drones. In fact, I know Mikeon even lost one shortly before he got in trouble with the seals thing. 
Uh, you can lose your drones to where they just take off and disappear, or, or you lose contact with it in some way, and then they just fly off and crash somewhere. So uh, I, I would actually put like a – on my drone, I'd, I'd write on there something. Well, you are, you are taking a bit of a risk if if it flies off and crashes into something through no fault of your own, that the thing just you know, goes crazy and flies off and hits something. If you have your name on it and phone number, then people can call you and say, hey, you damaged something, you know, pay for it. But on the other hand, if if, if at least if you lose it and, you, and an honest person finds it, they can call you and uh, tell you where it is. But the problem is that if you're flying it over some kind of air, like hiking area or whatever where, uh, like, where it's not – going to have a lot of people it may just crash somewhere where no one can get to it or, yeah but i would assume they have some type of find your drone app or something right built in uh they get lost all the time that's the problem it's, there's a, it's, it's still not perfect and that's why i didn't buy the two version i've heard the three has improved but the two had a, a big problem with just freaking out and, and just flying <laughs> it was just I read these stories. I mean, I, I laugh at it, but it was it was kind of sad too. By people, they're just happily using their drone, and it just <laughs> develops a mind of its own and t- <laughs> takes off. Wow! I mean, it's, it's weird. Like, like picture you're flying your drone, and it's just like goodbye, and just flies <laughs> off. Like you know, like and this happened to people. There's actually a, a web page you can still find, or a Facebook page you can still find it on Facebook. It's called the DJI psychological the DJI crash psychological support page. Wow! <laughs> People would post their videos of their drone either crashing or flying off, or they post their stories. And I, I think it's improved with the, with a newer version, and that's why I was really considering getting it. Also, for like eight hundred fifty dollars, I thought the the risk was a little bit less. And mm-hmm. uh, so I, I think I'm going to get one pretty soon. The question is, are we going to see things like what Amazon was trying to do, where drones are going to start being used in the future to deliver packages or deliver messages or, or whatever. Like, uh, will we have a world and say in 10 years, even in five years to where we're going to have just drones flying everywhere that are programmed to do things like uh, the current drones, they don't have a very big battery life. So that's a big, uh, hindrance, but that'll improve. So, so let's say they drones are, are built cheaply to where they're, yeah, that they can be useful for commercial purposes that are just flying everywhere, delivering packages, uh, e- even uh, delivering food or uh, yeah, w- whatever they're doing, even just uh, flying around monitoring things. Yeah. Are, are we going to see that? Is, are drones going to be all, everywhere in the sky? And, and are we going to start having a lot of issues with drones crashing and hitting things and hitting people? And uh, hitting cars and things. Are we going to have this crazy drone world that right now we're just seeing the very beginning of, or is this going to be a fad that just dies out? Well, I'd I'd imagine that they'd started out pretty centralized. So if there was like an Amazon truck that pulled up somewhere, and then then they'd have these drones built in that would serve like a mile radius or something to start and draw packages off at the houses. You know, I could see, you know, something like that starting. I don't think we'd have, you know, drones flying on long-distance flights all over the place. Yeah, well, that would require a lot of very big batteries. That's the biggest hindrance for them. As they, uh, yeah. They, that, 
Good. Yeah, right now they can only fly like the, the commercial ones you buy. Not the commercial, like the, the the ones for the consumer. The ones you buy from uh, DJI, they they have like a half an hour battery life at most. So oh, is it okay? Yeah, yeah so that DJI is exhibiting at that conference. I'll ch- I'll see if I can get any info. Yes, yeah, so that, from you on next generation stuff. That, that's a, a big problem at the moment. And one, the one thing I'm a little worried about, though, as far as drones improving in that respect, is that. Think of your your cell phone today. Is your battery life really any better than it was ten years ago? Yeah. <laughs> well, no. I, well, actually, I was just saying. Yeah, no. I'm thinking about that, but I think certainly with the iPhone six, they made a lot of progress over the four and the five. So I mean, significant. Where it's like double. Really? Yeah. It's, I don't have a six yet. I still have. Yeah, a five. you mean get a six. The battery life alone is so worth it. Yeah, I'm always so cheap with these things. I just I, I hold on with these older devices, as you see with my laptop. <laughs> I hold on with these older devices until they just don't work for me or go obsolete. I, I'm never the guy to like go, oh wow, this new thing came out. Well, screw that. I'm I'm getting the new version. Like that's never me. I'm like, well, the old version works fine as long as I can do everything I need to do. That like the only thing that pushes me is when we have incidents like last week where the whole thing's a complete fail, and I go, wow, this this device not doing for me anymore what I needed to do. So now I have to switch. So that's yeah. like my iPhone five. I still feel works, but yeah, the battery life kind of sucks. And uh, yeah, no. Uh, and I'm telling you, like I used to, you know, playing poker when I had. I mean, I had my iPhone four forever. I never went to the five, but I'd load up. I loaded up my iPod full of content I'd listen to, and then I'd have my phone because I just couldn't depend on the battery for the phone. Now with the iPhone six, I don't even need my iPod anymore, and I can listen to podcasts. You know, serious anything for, you know, probably like twelve to fourteen hours on a charge. Yeah, like my consistent. my iPhone five is so sad. It actually like it can just be sitting like where it's not really doing anything. Just uh, I just have it in my pocket, and, and and I'll just like for the whole day, and then I'll look, and the battery is like seriously dying. So yeah, uh, yeah. Now you'll you're that's the it's a, it's a, probably the best upgrade that they've had from. From any step up, for sure. Yeah, so I just I just worried with drones that, you know, how much can they really do for the battery life? There there hasn't been that much advance in batteries in in the past uh, two decades, really. There there really there really are not. There's there's not there's been some advancement, but not that much. It, it hasn't been like uh, the computing power advancement is so much greater by probably orders of magnitude compared to the battery advancement. The battery advancement has been very slow. Yeah. I remember well, yeah. I I remember back uh in the mid nineties when these uh cell phones were developing the what they called the memory problem with, with these rechargeable batteries. And then they came out with these lithium-ion batteries, and they said, "Okay, that's the end of the method, the the, uh, ba- the memory problem. You're not going to have that anymore. Where where every time you recharge it, it doesn't fully recharge, and you know that's the thing of the past. No more memory problem. Well, here we are in 2015, and my iPhone 5 has a memory problem. <laughs> and, and so do laptops, and so like it still exists. Like there, I don't know of any rechargeable battery that does not have that problem. That that you just keep recharging it and eventually it gets recharged less and less and less over time. And, uh, and what they call it the memory problem is because, uh, 
it, it, it's almost like it gets it's kind of reversed. It's it's kind of a lack of memory problem where it uh, if if you charge it, it, it kind of well they call it a memory problem. It kind of remembers how much it charged last time, and then it starts to believe that's the most it can charge. So uh, I'm, I'm not sure exactly of the physics behind it, but that's basically what's happening. That the, the, the way they say to avoid the memory problem with your rechargeable batteries is to let them go all the way down to zero before recharging them. But that's very hard to do. It's very inconvenient. So, yeah. so, so if you don't do that, which is, is really hard to do, then eventually it's going to develop this problem, and that's, that's part of the reason your battery says 100% when it's charged, but it really has not charged 100%. So, right. uh, so, so anyway, I, I'm just – Wondering with drones if they're ever going to get a significant life where they can ever travel long distances without uh, running into this problem. They don't go that fast. Well, it'd be interesting if they could leverage like some solar charging capabilities or even the power of the wings to keep them going. Yeah, you know, maybe, and, maybe solar. And, yeah, that's or or, or maybe I, I'm just thinking maybe if they could lighten these things a lot. Yeah. What about the Tesla? Hasn't Tesla made a ton of uh, progress on batteries? I don't, just battery technology in general? They, they have in some way. I don't know about battery length, though. I know about uh, about uh, yeah, kind of a power optimization thing. And uh, like, there's this Tesla wall that uh, has gotten a lot of press, where it's something you put in your home that uh, basically... Uh, it's it's like a giant battery that that's for your home, so you're using electricity at the it's it's charging itself. Oh, that's at, right. At yep. the off peak at the off peak times, and then you can use the electricity at the peak times, and therefore uh, uh, you you don't have to you, you're not going to get overcharged for electricity. Use it during the peak times, even if you use it during peak times, because you're using a a, a middleband device that's. Uh, Called the Tesla wall. That's, version, that, that's, yep. Yeah, that's that's charging itself up during the non-peak times, and so it's so you're just using the the charge during the peak times. So that's that's so that's the type of stuff he's doing. I haven't really heard about Tesla doing anything with with yeah consumer batteries with battery life. And maybe he is. I haven't really followed it that closely. Yeah, and some of the chip companies too. I think once they get more involved in the drone market, you know, I. I had a client in the late 90s, early 80s. Did you ever hear the Crusoe processor? No. It's from tra- a company called Transmeta. So basically what it does was it took uh, x86 calls, translated it to a VLIW-based language on the, si- on the fly through like this software layer, and then they had a chip that was much cooler, didn't use as much battery, because they were dealing with a lot of the things at the software levels that the chip normally does at the chip level. Huh. And that technology, you know, so it's gone into a lot of the new Intel chips, kind of it sold out like half the patents went to Intel, some went to AMD and a couple other companies. But I just think that type of technology will be ways that they can extend batteries and make things cooler and run more efficiently for sure. Yeah. And uh, by the way, I've seen some things in the chat uh, someone saying that delivery of prescription medication would be uh, a good use of drones, especially for yeah. people that uh, can't get out to the pharmacy. For well, people. they're already doing that, I think, right? In the prisons, they're dropping the drugs in. 
I didn't know. There's that. been I mean, there's been two of those cases where the where the they've been flying drones in the middle of the, of the prisons and all the prisoners fight for them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's uh, what he was. I don't know if that's what he was talking about. Yeah, but then there's talk about uh, in the chat also. What if people start shooting down drones to steal packages? I wonder if that'll become a problem. And uh, then there's. Uh, the the terrorism problem that could be with drones, where uh, drone, terrorists no longer have to kill themselves to do some kind of suicide bombing. They can do it via, via drones. They can attach bombs to drones and fly them into things. And that could become a big problem. That's the big one. I did see the – did you see the drone on the news a few weeks ago that could, that could shoot a gun? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's 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 the really scary part of it is that if these get in the wrong hands, uh, it, it can really be a problem. And and also, it's a lot harder to stop them, even if you see it's coming, unless you've got something to shoot them down. So, like, let's say there's a, a stadium full of people, and and someone wants to do some kind of terrorist attack against the stadium. Now, you, you're not going to be able to blow up the whole stadium or something because that that would require an amount of explosives that you couldn't get in there. But uh, let's say you just wanted to run a lot of explosives into a part of the stadium and kill hundreds of people. Uh, You you take a drone and send it in there, especially if you just program in the GPS and say go in here and crash basically uh, and load it with explosives. Uh, That could be effective and even if it's it's seen even if stadium personnel see it coming in uh they wouldn't be quick enough to warn everybody to get away and and they wouldn't have what's needed to shoot it down and if you do shoot it down if it lands somewhere with the you know where the explosives would uh land anyway it would still be a problem so uh this could be a big issue with anyone who wants to commit a terrorist act could send these drones to commit the act, and and it also may be tough to catch the party who did it. So this this could be a big problem eventually. That that it's going to be hard to find a solution for. Do you even have to register them at this point? No. And even if I you think, did, there could I be... think that'll be the next step because they're going to have to know who owns these and who's responsible for them. Yeah, I think so too. But there may be people who will find ways around that anyway, that uh, you have to register them, but then people just won't or or uh, they'll they'll find a way. Or even if it's it's registered at the time it's purchased, they they could purchase under fake names or whatever. Like people will find ways around it. Well, right. I mean, yeah, but then eventually they'd have have to have a license and something like that. Yeah, I mean, I just think that's especially for the terrorist stuff and the things with the the, uh, fires – there, there's going to be, I think, a lot of there. I think there's a lot of legislation, legislation already being proposed. I mean, not not just to prosecute the people if they find them that who flew the drones over the flyer and inter, inter, interfered with the airplanes, but I would assume that um, there's got to be something tracking who has what and what's going where. Yeah, you know. I see. I see. Little father's entering and leaving the chat over. I hope he's not doing it on purpose. I hate when people do that. 
I, th- I think I, I never know when I see that if someone's having problems or if they're just doing it to troll. I, he stopped, so I guess I don't have to ban him. <laughs> All right, so, uh, yeah, we'll have to see if we have a future of, of a lot of drones everywhere, if they're just going to die down. But we've already talked about it here, some of the problems, some of the potential problems we could see, either unintentional ones of drones crashing and causing harm or uh, intentional ones like terrorist acts. And I... I think we we are going to see some tighter regulation in the coming years with these things, even the coming months, maybe, because uh, this this really could be something big, though. This could be something we look back at ten years and say, "Wow, remember the world when there were hardly any drones out there?" Yep, it's it's possible. It's, no, they're so common. I have it. I send it to Starbucks to grab my coffee every morning. Yeah, that I mean, that would be send an interesting application. <laughs> that would be an interesting application now that you bring it up that. You send them out to do to run errands for you, rather than companies sending them to you to do things. You send your own drone out and instead of just flying around taking pictures of landscapes, to uh, take a drone and and fly to a place that supports drones that supports like drone purchases and uh, I don't yeah. know how you'd pay for it. And then the, the person at Starbucks uh, hangs it on the drone and the drone flies back and you never yeah. had to leave your house. They have the drone drive through window. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I call in my order. I'm sending over my drone. Cash will be in the uh, little hand. I mean, can you imagine that eventually you'll have these things and you'll never have to leave your house? Yeah. You'll just you'll be able to sit, <laughs> sit home all the time. You you can you can uh, just order everything online and, and you can send your drone out to get things for you. And eventually, they can lift heavier and heavier things. They can go <laughs> grocery shopping for you. You just you start sending all these drone. Th- there's just drones flying everywhere to get people things. And they just don't have to leave their house. And yeah. uh, I mean, you already have it right now where people can just be on their smartphones all the time wherever they are. They don't have to really pay attention to their surroundings or what they're doing. Or if they're bored, they now have an alternative always. And in some yeah. ways this is good, in some ways this is bad. It's good for like if you're you're stuck waiting at the DMV, you're not just staring at the wall for an hour and a half. You actually have something you can do. Uh, it, it's yeah. it's bad. Well, you have you have your drone just hover in line for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know it's it's bad for people just like all ignoring each other on their smartphones constantly. Like a, uh, so so I don't know. It's yeah. I, I think this is going to be. There's a good chance this will be something that's a major change in the next decade in the way we see the world and the way uh, the world operates. And Maybe I'll even laugh at myself. Ah, in 2015, look at that primitive drone I bought. How stupid. What a waste of money. Like, Compare this to now what I, what I have now. Like, I could be saying that in 10 years. And uh, Maybe one day I can send the drone to play the World Series of Poker for me. It, there you it, go. It, it can just it can just sit at the uh, at the table, and and broadcast the cards to me somehow. Just uh... or or picture a jet picture picture Benjamin at his at his graduation party where they have the all nighter thing at Magic Mountain. You know he goes there with friends. Little does he know, 
Druff's drone is hovering o- overhead, watching his every move. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Parents can send the drones there to spy on their kids. Exactly. And and you can even hook them up to the you can hook them up to the kids' GPS and their phone. Yeah. You and then just, just hover over them and follow them. It just auto follows. Yeah, auto follows them. <laughs> but it wouldn't work for me right now. Like I, I actually, my phone, I can fake the GPS. Mm-hmm. So, I I could actually uh, I could defeat that, but. Uh, but yeah, there, there there could be so many applications of these things. I imagine how pissed off a kid would be though if you had a drone following him all the time. <laughs> they said, "Damn it! Why couldn't I have been born earlier?" Yeah, he keeps turning around. The drones going to the other side. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, they, they, I also wonder if they'll they, you know they can end up being used to uh, if they'll, they'll end up being used almost like in a Big Brother sort of way to monitor the streets for crime and people will wonder is this an invasion of privacy or uh, things like that so and, and they can also eventually be used i mean there already there's already robots being used for things like disarming bombs and stuff like that but they uh, th- things like that could also be used for for uh, uh other situations where you know, like where there's some kind of crime occurring, but it's like riots or whatever. It's it's determined uh, to be too dangerous for 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 even the police to come in at the moment. They're outmanned. You know, you could start sending those in to fight crime. There's a lot of uh, a lot of potential uses for them. That uh, of course we're already having drones being used in the military. That's been used for a long time. To those have been used very effectively against a lot of the terrorist organizations where. Uh, uh, They'll send them out in the middle of nowhere to kill terrorists in Afghanistan or wherever else they're hiding without having to risk soldiers' lives in doing so. And there's been, there's actually been like key terrorists that have been killed by drones like long oh, before yeah. they were commercially available. So, uh, yeah, I, I think we're going to see more and more drones in this world. I, I really think it's going to be – I think we're really just kind of in the infancy of it. And, and there's a lot of different possibilities for them. So uh, right now my only goal to get one is just to fly them over landscapes. And I, I also was wondering, like, is this going to get boring eventually or will I always enjoy it when I go somewhere new? That's, that's what I was also thinking. Like, like obviously just flying around the neighborhood will get boring quickly. But, but like, if I go somewhere new, well, I go, wow, I'm, gl- I'm really glad I have this. Kind of like you're glad you have a regular camera. You don't, you get, you don't get bored of having a regular camera when you go somewhere new. On vacation, so will you feel the same way about a drone? Now, a drone's a lot harder to take, but oh, I'm hearing what was it? BB, what's that? Oh, just some of my emails that get triggered at midnight for okay. people that expire on my website. Okay, so I, I, uh, oh, wow, it is midnight. I, I disable all that stuff, all those sound effects, not just during the radio. I like, I just decided I don't want any of these sound effects bothering me, so. Yeah, I'm just I'm just next to two of my, two of my iPads. So and, and Benjamin's mom actually gets mad at me because I don't see her texts a lot of times. They don't have the text make noise, so like the phone will just be in my pocket, and she'll say, "Didn't I? Did you see the text I sent three hours ago?" I'm like, "No, I didn't really look. I haven't looked at my phone in three hours." And yeah, you know, that she gets mad. Why didn't you see it? And I, I just the the problem is I I don't want to get texted like three in the morning have it wake me up or even if it's while I'm awake I sometimes just don't want it bothering me there's a, there's too many times in the past that I've been bothered by the sound of a text coming through when I'd prefer it doesn't and uh yep so I, I just have them off 
But uh, speaking of that, let's, let's see if I got any text tonight. For some reason, everybody listening to the show tonight was pretty shy. Nobody called in. Uh, I, I didn't get many texts. I got a few. This is from the 410. Uh, don't care if you read on air or not. Okay, that's good because I'm about to read it. But where the fuck is Brandon tonight? How late are you on? Well, I'm on after midnight. This is from Scott from the East Coast. And Brandon, I don't know where he is. He, I mean, he said he's not showing up. He didn't just no-show. He, he told me in a text shortly before the show that he's just uh, he's not going to be on. He, he originally said that he'll most likely be doing radio from his girlfriend's house and that uh, they have plans early the next day. So he's going to be uh, – he just wants to test her internet. So I'm like, okay, we'll do that. And then – uh, then he said he can, I can, he can probably only go till 1 a.m. at the latest. Okay, that's no problem. And then <laughs> today he's like, uh, sorry, I don't think I'll be able to make it tonight. So he didn't say why. He's just not here. So I'm sure, I'm sure I'll get people complaining, oh, the radio wasn't as good with no Brandon, but whatever. That's, that's the way it goes. Some weeks we have him, some weeks we don't. We went a long time on this show without Brandon. So I'm happy to have him. And FPS Russia says in chat, drones will be like cell phones, smaller and smaller with more impressive tech in each one. Today's drones are the bricks of the cell phone age. So, Yeah, true. So yeah, I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. There could be a lot of potential for it to grow. And it'll be interesting. I think at least, uh, at least I'm young enough to where I can say I'll probably be alive to see the major advancement in drones. That I think I can say. Other things I don't know, but drones I think I'll get to see if they if they do explode like I think they might. So all right, yeah. next what week on Poker Fraud Alert Radio, we'll be here. That's all I can say. It'll be uh, September first. No more shows in August. September first will be the next show. And uh, it'll be 7.30 p.m. on this same computer. Notice we didn't have any technical fail tonight. It just it just went right through. This is such a difference from last week and the show before that three weeks prior. So thank you, Traderski, for coming on here. You got it. In, in, inter, interdrone.com if anybody's interested. Wait, what is or that? You can, it's interdrone.com. Okay. Drone.com. Okay. And what is that? It's a, that's the show in Vegas that I've got a couple of oh, free okay. tickets to wow. for the community or for you or whoever wants to go. Maybe Brandon will want to go since he's in town. Interesting. All right. Well, thank you for that uh, generous offer. So, anyway, September 1st, 9th, 9.30. Probably will be 9.30 by the time we start. <laughs> 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. I could have just gone with it at 9.30 Central. That just sounds stupid. Nobody pays attention to the Central time zone. 7.30 Pacific Time, September 1st. Something I didn't mention tonight on the show, but it's true. Tomorrow, I will officially be the father of a child who is in regular school. Benjamin wow. is... He's entering not kindergarten, but what's known as transitional kindergarten, which is a thing in uh, around here for uh, kids born late in the year that they think are too young for kindergarten. So if you're... If you're born at the end of the year, as Benjamin was, then you go in transitional kindergarten for a year. But but he is in a real school, uh, you know, a real school where uh, you know, all the way up to fifth graders go. And he's going to be there starting tomorrow. So I kind of feel strange to like go to these parent meetings and everything.
things like that. That wow, like I remember my first day in kindergarten, and now I'm the dad of someone. But the truth is, I could probably almost be the grandfather of someone now that age. So. I guess I shouldn't feel that old. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you later in a week. Shalom. Shalom. I didn't go to sleep. <laughs> Good job. <laughs>